Today's episode is brought to you by Manscaped, who just launched their fourth-generation performance package and their Shears 2.0 nail grooming kit. Join the Manscaped movement by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code LASERTIME. Ryan Gosling is quiet, Freddy is dead, and 2001 is somber. This week on 30 2010. Gentlemen, welcome to 302010, the Laser Time Network's pop culture time machine, taking you back 30, 20, and 10 years back into our wondrous pop culture past. And let me just say off the bat, this is the episode I've been dreading ever since I've had to start saying the date. 2001? Yeah, that one. We'll be covering the dates of September 10th through 16th, 30 years ago. Not so much bothered 91. Every year after that, uh, one of the middle September dates in there will become a big old trigger point, I think, for a lot of us. Can't, I, I still don't know how movies advertise, even 20 years later, at September 11th. Uh, <laughs> am I supposed to happily add that to my calendar? I am one of your hosts, Chris Antista. Who else is with me? Uh, it's Diana Goodman, and I, yet again, I had something clever to say, and now I just have to say, oh, R.I.P. Michael K. Williams. Yeah. Oh, my God. God damn it. What a loss. Like, yeah. truly. Please, please, if you have addiction issues, please get help. Mm. We don't know if that's what done it. But he had those problems in the past, and he'd want you to get help. I mean, that's what all the uh, less reputable rags are going on the limit saying at this point. Um, mm-hmm. That it was substance issues. Yeah, no, I, I get. I, I guess that's how difficult it is. You know, you can be mm-hmm. a guy who's like that guy was wonderful, a wonderful, intense presence on screen. He's one of my favorite modern Robin Hoods, way more than any actual modern Robin Hood. Stop making those. <laughs> Omar, but uh, yeah, R.I.P. Michael Williams. Yeah, truly beloved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody, take a moment, think about naming your cat after him. Just please, right? Now, <laughs> think about it. Just think about think it. That's all you got to do. Um, I mean, we do have a stringer bell in our house. Yes, you can call it, call your cat Omar or the Lone Cheese. It doesn't matter. Just one of those things. I cannot believe that's a happier topic than where we'll end up uh, eventually mm-hmm. in the show. But there is some. I thought it was going to be a doldrum, but there turns out there's plenty of stuff in here I'm happy to talk about. Just yes. in the weird context of spoiler alert, nine eleven. Do we all say our names? I forget. No, it's yeah. me, Sarah. And never forget. I, <laughs> uh, I will never forget. Um, but yeah, it's going to be one of those shows. Maybe we should change our theme song like The Daily Show did. That is one of the things that happened during nine eleven. Oh, Anyway, we'll be talking about 1991, 2001, and 2011 across the week of September 10th to 16th in movies, TV, video games, music, and very so very much more. Whew, where do we start here? Patrons. Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Hopefully we can get another video game show in the can. I know I did all the research and wrote up the article. Just, whoo boy, it's been hard to record. My back is killing me. Thank you guys so much for supporting us, even when we're late on stuff, because uh, I'm in a lot of pain. But it's okay. Um, less pain than normal today. How about that? It comes and goes. But yes, thank you to all our patrons over there, including uh, Justin Allen and many other fine people at patreon.com slash laser time. Let's skip the news for 1991 and just get uh, straight in the movies, September 10th to the 16th. This is a big one for me, but I don't know anything about Until the End of the World with uh, William Hurt, Sam Neill, Peter Falcone, and Solvig Dom- Domarten. Yeah, Solvig. you pretty much got it. Uh, so this is a Vim Vendors joint, and that means it kind of meanders, and it's really fucking long. 
the the cut in the U.S. was like two and a half hours. Perfect. The director's cut that Criterion just put out a couple years ago, five hours. Wow. And that's the definitive wow. one. Five <laughs> hour long movie. Thank you. I know. And it, it definitely rambles. It's about how like this Indian nuclear satellite is going to hit Earth. So we're all going to die. But then it goes on this like long adventure of like trying to catch up with these people that like stole this money. And then there's also an investigator and uh, they go to 11 different countries. I mean, they're filming freaking everywhere. It's like if you read the synopsis, it's like, you know, and then they're on the Trans-Siberian Railway and then they find out that guy went to Australia. So now they're in the outback and it's like they... It, it, it is definitely an international kind of picture. Like they go a lot of really scenic, nice places. But uh, yeah, if you're coming for like fast plot <laughs> and snappy dialogue, no, that's not how Inventors works, man. But so the whole world knows the end of the world is coming. Yeah. So light question. But that's <laughs> sort of not important. That's no, why would it be? Because there's people clearly still doing their jobs, which makes me wonder how long would you still go to your day job? If the yeah. end of the world was coming, when do you stop going? Yeah, like who cares about money? Yeah, if you if you think the world might end, and you're or talk- just it might kill some people, but not everyone. Like, is money going to even matter? Yeah, exactly. We're going to find that new currency. It's probably going to be like precious stone base. So get in those mountains, start blowing them up. Yeah, uh, get your rock tumbler out. Get your rock tumbler out. <laughs> Perfect your blowjob. That could very well be a currency too from everybody. That could side. be important. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to hoard little water purifiers, and I'll be a millionaire. <laughs> Or um, dysentery medication, either one. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. Gonna... So it's it's. I mean, it's interesting. I have never finished any version of it, <laughs> um, and I apologize. The U two song fucking slaps though, and so does the Nick Cave one. Huh. There's there's two different songs. They're really cool. Anyway, yeah. Jeez. Until the end of the world. God bless you if you've gone through it. I mean, I feel bad that I haven't. Maybe mm. I should get that five hour criterion and just. Just go for it, because I've never seen a five-hour-long movie. That is longer than anything I've ever sat through. Netflix has 500,000 five-hour movies, and we watch them all the time without blinking. Yeah, (laughs) but also, if you've given a movie two chances at least already and you still can't get through it, it's just not. There are also plenty of Netflix 10-episode series I've given three episodes like, never again. I'm not watching this. It's fine. Yeah, I got to save that for my annual Once Upon a Time in America viewing, the four-and-a-half-hour version. Oh, Um, yeah. Which I have watched almost ten times over the course of the last 40 years of my life. Oh, good Lord. Uh, And (laughs) don't you Kelsey Grammer me, Diana. I got to talk about the commitments. (laughs) Um, In that same amount of time, I could watch an entire film trilogy that I think a lot of people don't realize exists and is a film trilogy, starting with our next film. Oh, I didn't. Uh, The Commitments? Uh Yes, the commitments with uh, Robert Ark, Robert Arkins, Cole Meany, uh, Angeline Ball, Maria Doyle, Andrew Strong, and Glenn Hansard. Here's a little piece of the trailer. Things. We're walking the music, and we're gonna be playing Jimmy. Soul, soul. That's what you got to measure up to, lads. Well, like maybe we're a little white. White. <laughs> Man, I, I I got this movie all wrong. Didn't find it the last yeah. minute. It's not the Five Stair Steps or some biopic based on a non-existent band. It's, oh, uh, right. it's something a little different. The Commitments, <laughs> Cole Meany being in the cast, otherwise known as my doppelganger, depending nah, on how much I weigh. Nah. We have the same hair. Yeah, you sort of do. You're yeah. the Italian version. Yeah, so this is 
full-on musical i forgot how many songs they play and the soundtrack was huge of these folks in north dublin like teenagers really who put together a soul band and it's about them like trying to learn to play their instruments trying to book a gig having the gig go wrong you know but audiences like them but now there's like jealousy and fighting a little bit but it's you know it's very light it's a comedy all the music is really really good the lead singer is all of 17 he looks like 30 and he's freaking killing it andrew strong and you know he's gone on to have a bit of a career glenn hansard who people know from once uh singing that song yeah he's in there he's just a tiny baby and yeah it's just it's a whole lot of fun it's a very light slice of life comedy from these folks that just live you know i guess if i had to compare it to something it'd be maybe full monty in mm-hmm. that like they live in mm-hmm. a very drab depressing area but then they get into this thing and it, it makes things more fun and it is secretly part of a trilogy the Barrytown yeah. trilogy yeah because it's based on a book by roddy doyle who wrote a bunch of books about this family in this neighborhood so after the commitments you have the snapper where cole meany the dad who says elvis is god he becomes the main character for the snapper and then the follow-up the van which are both so great. They oh, are so well. charming and so light and fun and just... So it's nice, but it's not like just that Elmore Leonard wrote this book, like it retained some of the cast from the commitments. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's that's the fun thing is that like Colmini's, you know, barely in this because he's the, the dad of the guy who's running around trying to put this band together. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you get to the snapper, it's about him and his oldest daughter mostly. And I think that character comes back from like serving in Kosovo. And you're like, is that supposed to be the same Jimmy Rabbit? Like wow. he joined the, he joined the army after the commitments failed. Oh, okay. But yeah, the second one is about uh, their daughter gets pregnant and won't say how, or who's the father. And it's all about this like father daughter stuff and trying to figure out what, what to do about this. And the neighborhood starts talking and Colmini gets very defensive of his family. And it's, it's really, he's fantastic in it. Should have gotten awards nominations, honestly. He is so good. All these people are just like, oh, yeah, it's O'Brien from Star Trek. He's actually a fantastic actor in that. <laughs> and the van is also a lot of fun words about him and his family getting, a, as the Irish say, a Borg or van to, to, yeah, have like a takeout Is this van. more Star Trek? Uh, <laughs> a cube-shaped <Yeah>. van? <laughs> exactly. Borg or... Borg. You'll say Borg or... The, yeah, they're they're going to open up like a food truck because it's during the World Cup and they think they can make some good money. And then there's shenanigans because like the person who's supposed to cook decided that she's a vegetarian. And it's like, well, you can do the chips. And then like <laughs> the grease starts running out and setting things on fire. And it's like, it's just, they're, they're very like l- fun slice of life movies. Mm. I just cannot recommend enough there. It just shows how hard it is to do that, right? Because there's so many movies like this. Like, oh, it's a family comedy, and it sucks, and you hate all the characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The the commitments, the snapper in the van, you end up just like, I want every small character to have his own movie. I love them. Mm, and they do. Great. Yeah. So the commitments is might be the most fun, just because the music's great. There's one last thing I have to say about the commitments. Please. So besides it being secretly the beginning of a trilogy, it has a massive lasting impact in the soundtrack in that we have had five or six different TV ads that use a clip from the commitments. Hmm. Now I will set it up with some sort of comedy thing. Like about, I'm just asking you to babysit for one night. How much trouble could they be? And then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I've heard this in a thousand ads. Wow. Um, Yes. Yes, wow. I love that. I, I Googled it, and one of the first things was like a bunch of Reddit threads. Like, is this the most overused comedy 
cutaway musically like ever yeah and then other people asking like okay i need to know the name of the song is they go like hey 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 and then there's like music behind it what three, song is that three men raising one daughter <laughs> slip banana peel <laughs> yep screaming car crash diaper falls off yep <laughs> uh, i i love learning that that's what diana some of my favorite information thank you for letting me know about <laughs> Dragon the Bruce Lee story. I use I use that at least yeah. once a year in Oscar sketches. Yeah. Um, oh, it's fun. Just do it at home. Of like, how well <laughs> can you set up a comedy clip? <laughs> yeah, it's it, Walking on Sunshine's a good one. Um, but Ooh, that's, yeah, that's, that's <laughs> one. Also, bad to the bone opening when you're doing oh, something nice. that's very unbad to the bone. <laughs> Or when your cat walks into opening, the room, that's also like uh, opening up my almond milk. I'm matching up my socks in the laundry. Ooh, yeah. those match. Okay, and oh wait, I've got a loose sock. I wonder where the other one is. <laughs> oh god, this is way better than talking about the next movie. I but know. I, you can, you can, if you're a member of our Patreon, we have an entire episode with me and Lizzie for the f- not quite finale of Elm Street's not, Elm Street Nightmare. Freddy's Dead: Colon the Final Nightmare, the final uh, Friday the Thirteenth movie, and so kind of in a sort of. It's more final than um, Friday the Thirteenth: The Final Chapter because they just keep going. Whereas this is the end of a kind of Freddy. Freddy doesn't come from this one. Doesn't come back. Well, he does. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so not at all. Then. Yeah, but like the, the, like Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. There's just more Jason after that. There's one movie without Jason. They resurrect the Jason. The next movie is Wes Craven's mind version of Freddy, and then a remake, and then Freddy versus Jason. That is this Freddy. It's pretty clever the way Freddy's brought back. To be honest, it's just not so clever how he dies. Bizarrely starring Yafet Kodo, yeah. uh, Lisa Zane, and a weird smattering of cameos. Uh, Robert England, of course, number one at the box office this week in 3D. If you uh, if you saw it, Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare. Welcome to a brand new nightmare. Time to start over again. A psychedelic nightmare. Let's trip out. A 3D nightmare. I'm not fooled by this thing you saw. The final nightmare. Freddy's Dead, the final nightmare. They saved the best for last. Rated R. No, I'd call it, I really think it's the worst Freddy Krueger movie. That seems to be the consensus. But it's, it's also really weird watching part five you know the one mildly about abortion like the fucking film stock changes it it goes from looking like an 80s movie to a 90s movie it's it's one of the most perfect examples i can think of watching the shift in film within two years it completely changes its look and its style and its tone and becomes 90s uh it, it is also not even trying to be scary at any point it mm. is it has a high budget I, maybe it's just because it has a higher budget and it's not a low budget horror movie anymore and then you get just some bizarre cameos. Johnny Depp waves goodbye to the series that made, made him famous. I always thought that was very cool. But when <laughs> Tom Arnold and Roseanne Barr appear, freshly married, <laughs> it is like it is a it brings the, the tone of the movie to a wild stop. <laughs> they are on screen for way too long. And it's like a three minute cameo. 
So not like a 30 second like, hey, it's Tom and Roseanne. Uh, it's much, much longer and more excruciating. And it, it, mm. I'd say Freddy has never been more Looney Tunes. I think if you look at the opening of the trailer, he is pushing a bed of spikes into a road, not unlike, <laughs> not unlike Bugs Bunny <laughs> with his back. And then pretending to wipe his brow. It's 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 very silly, um, and it's just I don't like all the canonical stuff they make up for. It was a pact, this custodian made with three devils, and it, just so at the end of the movie his head can explode and three D three slugs can fly at the screen. It's one of the worst mm-hmm. on screen deaths of a horror icon I can think of. But it was done so it looked really cool in three D. And those three D glasses, by the way, I think I kept the longest. Because um, I can't think of many thing, other things like the phenomenon of Nightmare on Elm Street where I could buy Freddy Krueger bubblegum in a Halloween costume and trading cards and action figures. Uh, I could not legally rent or see the movies at my age. And, and a lot <laughs> yeah, of us... that's who, pretty bizarre. Yeah, a lot of us wanted to go see these movies, but you kind of had to like tape trade. Someone had to, rec- had to record it. Remember, my parents had to be called and asked permission when I to, for me to watch Freddy Five, uh, mm. which no one calls it, by the way. But the final nightmare is sort of final, and the next nightmare in Elm Street is really good. Wes Craven's new nightmare is amazing. Uh, mm. It's awesome if you've never yeah. seen it. Watch it this Halloween, but don't watch Freddy's Dead unless you're a completist, because I think other than two, which once you understand two is a gay allegory that breaks all the rules of Nightmare on Elm Street, it's awesome. Uh, if you want to see Freddy just murdering people outside of dreams, you're not going to like it. Never mind. That's Friday. That's that's two, but uh, mm. part six is the most. Literally, literally the most Looney Tunes. It is not scary at all. The the fact that they went for the three D gimmick, but it's only for part of the movie. Oh yeah, it's just like the final showdown. Mm-hmm. That's just depressing to me. It's like, do it or don't do it. Come on. It's it's it has some interesting sequences, but it is new line. I want to say kind of dealing with very early CG for the first time. So it's just it's it's very ugly. It's very very ugly. A lot, lot more effects than you're used to. And uh, oh, Alice Cooper, yeah, is also in the movie. I think he's Freddy's dad in the movie. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> a lot, yeah, a lot of abusive tonal, like, where is this movie going? It's funny one second, then like I'm literally watching child abuse. This is insane. Mm-hmm. Well, let's move on to the television of 1991. Again, if you want to hear more me talk more about that with my, with my friend Lizzie, patreon.com slash laser time where you can get all the 30 2010 bonus shows where we talk more about classic corner the video game shows and over 100 movie commentaries we got to move on to tv of 1991 uh 1991 september 10th to the 16th of television so we got some cartoon debuts anybody remember any of these because oh boy i sure do i only as bizarre footnotes in pop culture history of like hey did you know wayne gretzky had a show i i was wondering for kids I was wondering which one you would... These all are, are bizarre pop culture yeah. footnotes. Yeah. Pro Stars being a, a very strange one, just because uh, it's Bo Jackson, Michael Jordan, and Wayne Gretzky team up to solve international crime oh, wow. uh, <laughs> with the power of their sports. And of course, sure. they don't voice any of these characters. They are like barely present for the show at all. And, and what what luck getting Bo Jackson to represent two sports. Do we have anybody like that now playing baseball and football at the top level? I mm. don't know. Miss you, Bo. No, that was a big thing because we also had Deion, Deion Sanders. Sanders. Mm-hmm. And then Michael Jordan, famously. Yeah, Jordan did it not, too. Not simultaneously. Mm. He didn't. He quit, he quit basketball and played baseball yeah. that, and didn't yeah. do the other when the season was over. Bo and Dion did. Man, that was remarkable. Macaulay Culkin starring... I believe there's a live action intro for Wish Kid. Am I thinking of the right mm-hmm. show, Wish Kid? Yeah. Uh, it's the Macaulay Culkin show where he's basically playing a version of himself. And at this time, 
Macaulay Culkin's pretty big in oh, my yeah, world. Yeah. Uh, Home Alone's the biggest movie in the world. This there is a million dollar movie star that looks like us and is our age. We're all kind of in on the on the Mac train. And uh, this was pretty interesting. And then I don't know. I don't want to go off too much on it, but what I love about Saturday morning cartoons is that you kind of had to choose back in the day. There's no mm-hmm. streaming. You got to choose a channel. And I missed out entirely on Back to the Future, the cartoon. That also premieres this week. Um, and if you've seen footage of Christopher Lloyd, you do not recognize. It's probably from this cartoon show because he didn't play Doc Brown. He didn't voice him, but he played himself in the live action intros uh, yeah. with his lab assistant, which is the on-screen appearance as a scientist, I believe, of Bill Nye, uh, playing an assistant to oh, Doc Brown. That's cool. Before yeah. most of the episodes. Yeah, I believe it's... Up until recently, it's the last time Tom Wilson ever played Biff. Um, Mary Steenburgen reprised her role, but everybody else, um, yeah. Doc Brown in the cartoon was voiced by Homer, Dan Castellaneta. Uh, And I don't have a ton of affection for it. I have not bought any of the expensive Back to the Future box sets that include the cartoons, because they will. Back to the Future, the trilogy being quite possibly not only one of my favorite trilogies, the one, one of the very few classic trilogies of the 80s not ruined by its own awful fans. Not yet, anyway. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Ghostbusters, Star Wars, you've embarrassed us all. We're all. Mm. I'm ashamed to lump myself in with you people. Uh, but but if you walk into Walmart right now, and I could go off way more on this, and I'll try not to. There are Godzilla figures in there now. Their toy section looks like the toy section I would have wanted when I was eight. Uh, <laughs> you can buy thirty dollar Marty McFly, but there's also action figures from this cartoon. This two season. Kind of a failure of a cartoon that's clearly remembered fondly enough or has been included on so many DVDs. I think this had a huge afterlife on VHS because people were so hungry for Back to the Future. They'd buy Mm. anything with that logo. And you're a kid and this cartoon is not going to disappoint you. You're a fucking kid. You don't know anything. Uh, (laughs) But I I can't vouch for it at all. Back to the Future cartoon show uh, debuts this week. For TV shows, folks might remember, for better or worse, um, the Jenny Jones show debuts on the 16th of September. Yeah. Well, like we just talked about with Maury, we are entering the golden age of talk shows, afternoon syndicated TV talk shows. Jenny Jones, 12 seasons, 1500 episodes. And this is like also the heyday of the real trashy, trashy stuff. Oh, it gets gets trashy really fast. Jenny Jones, I believe, is the one got someone murdered. Right. Yes, Yes, it did. For revealing a homosexual crush on the show. What? A boy likes me. And then he murdered him after the show. Yeah. Yeah. And then the parents of the murdered person sued the Jenny Jones show for yep. uh, not properly vetting I'm so, I, their guests. Did they, yeah. did they lose the parents? Mm. Or, or did the show lose? I, th- I think it might have. Yes, I can't remember how won. they shook out. The family won. The family won. Good. They should have won. But it was later overturned. Oh, God damn it. There is no justice in the world. Unless you're on whatever channel is showing Erie, Indiana. Um, a little show on, I don't even even remember the channel. Nobody believes me, but this is the center of weirdness for the entire planet. Thank you, little paper boy. Eerie Indiana. This, I thought, did it air in primetime initially? And then I you could see reruns on Saturday mornings? It was NBC, I want to say Sunday nights. Okay. Because I remember really having to choose what I was going to yeah. watch on Sunday nights. Yeah. Because you have, you know, like Simpsons in Living Color over here. And like, my parents want to watch America's Funny Stone videos over there. I'm like, ah. Oh. But, um, <laughs> and then there's this, which like is Twin Peaks for children. Twin and I'm Peaks like, for I kids. I want to watch it. But eventually, 
you know, it, it made it for like, like one season, I think, or one and a half seasons. And then Disney Channel picked it up for reruns for a long time. So that yeah. was where probably a lot of people saw it. Yeah. I, I think that's where I encountered it. Uh, I, I fell in love with it during Disney. the, during the day, but I think I, I remember the hype behind the primetime push because the show looks fucking expensive for a yep. kid show. It's, yeah. it looks really good. So I, and keep, also mm-hmm. the main character is the guy is the same kid from Hocus Pocus who like, mm-hmm did this in Hocus Pocus and like a few soap opera episodes and that's it. Oh, wow. Like yeah. very strange. Yeah. Oh, can you imagine what he thought of the acting experience? He's like, nah, I prefer a college. I mean. <laughs> I'll turn down any role for just more college. Oof. Uh, but this show's really, really fun. Um, mm-hmm. If you, Perfect for Halloween as well. So if you got little ones around you, but you want kind of a spooky, uh, non-lethal spirit, this show's really fun. Mm-hmm. Yuri and Yannim. I'm not. I'm not alone in this. You guys remember the show being? Oh a, a yeah, goddamn yeah. yeah. I remember and quite enjoying it. Then, uh, I mean, you know why I bet you like it? Hmm. Because Joe Dante worked on it, mm-hmm. and it feels very much in his vibe of like a mm-hmm. lot, lot of you know references, ti- tiny references and homages to like classic Hollywood stuff that's like kids aren't gonna get, and then you see it later and you're like, oh damn. Yeah, but like adults at the time watching network television would have gotten the hell out of it. Well, they're it's. This, it just reminds me of me and my dad watching The Simpsons, and we're yeah. both laughing mm-hmm. at different things, but this is both of our favorite show happening right now. Yeah. Gary, Indiana might be good for yeah. that. Yeah, and this, the spooky things that happen are not like especially scary spooky. Mm-hmm. I mean, one episode I remember really clearly is about these twins that are immortal. They're played by the twins that were like in Terminator of 2. Of course, and in, in Gremlins too. <laughs> yeah, where it's like they live forever because they sleep in giant Tupperwares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, like uh, that's the level of spooky we're dealing with. <laughs> those are definitely two of Perfect. Joe Dante's guys. Um, oh, Erie, yeah. Indiana, man. Now I'm fucking, I'm hungry. I want to go find it. Oh, Chris, I got good news. All of Erie, Indiana is on Amazon Prime and on the Roku channel. Oh, hell Ooh. yeah. Yeah, so it's channel. available to everybody. I was worried like Disney had it locked up or something, but no, nope, no. Roku channel means it's available to all the children. Which I have to recommend because there's... <laughs> Otherwise known as Quibi's Trash Can. If you wanted to see that those, those Reno 911 new episodes, you can see them for free on the Roku channel. 1991 Games, uh, we will dig in way more into that in the game show with uh, Maddie Allen, Mr. Diana Goodman, Michael Raparez. Usually there's like a lot of arcade and things you have to dig a little deeper to find. That uh, I'll talk about that with my, my Game Boys. Who ha- Why haven't you named your show, your stupid gaming podcast, The Game Boys? Somebody out there do that. <laughs> But we'll talk about music of 1991, September 10th to uh, the 16th. We've got new releases such as Blow Up by the Smithereens, Catfish Rising by Jethro Tull, The Force Behind the Power by Diana Ross, Leap of Faith by Kenny Loggins, On Every Street by Dire Straits, Psychotic Supper by Tesla, and uh, Still Feel Gone by Uncle Tupelo. This very much feels like the 80s still, guys. Y'all, that Kenny yeah. Loggins album was on heavy rotation in my house growing up. Yeah. That, so people I, people pulling still, up in sobs and big sunglasses as Kenny yeah. Loggins is playing. I, it's definitely Be Sure Vibes. I actually still really love it. I think it's a really beautiful album, but it's definitely divorce dad rock. <laughs> <laughs> so this was famously recorded, written and recorded right after his divorce. Oh. And I... I believe there were, I don't know if it was like confirmed, but basically like pretty well known that he found love very quickly after his divorce, if not, like Mm -hmm. maybe there was some overlap. So there's a lot of songs in here about like feeling guilty towards your (laughs) children and like we tried to work it out, kids. And it's like very, man, it's a real vibe for 91 with the whole 
sensitive divorce dad situation going on. I was really hoping it had my favorite Kenny Loggenshaw song, the one off of Caddyshack 2. Nobody's fool because that's a that's a really good title for a divorce. Dad. Sure is, sure is. Nobody takes me for granted. Runs logins over the ringer. Yeah. <clears throat> okay, but this is great. The real number one this week: "The Promise of a New Day" by Paula Abdul. Ooh. And this, nice. this I I remember what weather it was. I smelled like chlorine from playing in a pool all day. I'd get in my friend's dad's the back of his Camaro which we could still sit in comfortably and he would crank up Paul Abdul's Promise of a New Day. I love it. <laughs> this is this is very evocative of my childhood uh, and it finally unseats everything I do I do it for you from the yeah. fucking Prince of Thieves soundtrack. God damn you Brian Adams and it's Ryan Adams. It's truly a new day. Promise of a new day. Let's close out with that uh, and stick around. Jesus I have no idea how we're going to come into the next segment. <laughs> Just for that stay tuned. It is summer, the sun's out in full force, which means you and your friends should be out of the pool or the beach. When you do venture out, hopefully you're not rocking that unsightly body hair or those disgusting post-pandemic toenails. <sighs> Nothing gives a below-the-belt blow to your confidence more than looking like you're wearing a sweater made of body hair at the pool. Gross! Don't worry, my friends. Our friends at Manscaped have you covered, so you can uncover to beat the heat. They just launched their fourth-generation performance package and their Shears 2.0 nail grooming kit. The performance package 4.0 includes the new Lawnmower 4.0. This trimmer will change the way you approach your grooming routine. This fourth-generation trimmer features advanced skin-safe technology to reduce grooming nicks and cuts. You don't want any ingrown hairs or snags on your boys before beach season. The Lawnmower 4.0 has a 7,000 RPM motor, an on-off travel lock, and gives you the ability to turn the 4000K LED spotlight on and off. This trimmer is also waterproof so you can trim in the shower and not worry about any cleanup on aisle D. D is in these nuts. <laughs> the Performance Package 4.0 also includes the Weed Whacker to chop your worst weeds up top and your nose and ears. The Weed Whacker is also waterproof and uses a 9000 RPM motor powered 360 degree rotary dual blade system. <sighs> This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin-safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in all the sensitive little nostrils and ears of yours. Aw, little sensitive baby. Little up. Uh, once you're finished mowing the lawn and trimming back those weeds, use the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant and Crop Reviver Ball Toner to keep you on your game in the heat. Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Bag. It's also flip-flop season, which means you want your feet and toes to look their best. Enter the Shears 2.0 Nail Grooming Kit. This luxury four-piece nail grooming kit features tempered stainless steel tools and includes slash tip tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. Easy for me to say. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code LASERTIME at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code LASERTIME at manscaped.com. Tame the summer swamp in your pants with Manscaped. Your balls will thank you.
Coming in with a Zach Braff theme song. It's uh, 2001. This is the Scrubs theme song, is it not? No, it's not. No, it's not. It's the sad one. It's the HBO yes. This Sunday Six Feet Under <laughs> theme song. Sarah's nodding yes. with acknowledgement. That's that's the. Yes. It's a different Superman song. The Five for Fighting. The Body Ho He uh, band. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah, it was a struggle to figure out what we should come in with, and I associate the song with 9/11 so much. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think a, a lot of people do. It's like it just hit right at the right time of being something sad, but also sort of positive and like a little uplifting, maybe, mm-hmm. or just uh, yeah. yeah. A lot of music wanted- out. Yeah, it was one of the few approved songs that MTV and VH1 could play. That's weird, because Superman flies sometimes to the top of buildings. Okay. Uh, I'm Real by Jennifer Lopez, (laughs) featuring Ja Rule, is still number one. But the release date uh, for the music this week is 9-11. These come out all on 9-11 proper, so I just... Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Mediocre Generica by Leftover Crack. Timeless. They played my parents' wedding. And and The Word Become Flesh by Professor Griff. Uh, Face to Face by Babyface. Ghetto Fabulous by Fabulous. Mink Car by They Might Be Giants. A self-titled debut of The Moldy Peaches, which uh, includes the track NYC's Like a Graveyard. Good Lord. Ow. Um, <laughs> I know. Also... Rock of the Suburbs by Ben Folds, Satellite by P.O.D., Scars by uh, Soil, Silver Side Up by Nickelback, God Hates Us All by Slayer, and Love and Theft by Bob Dylan, and The Blueprint by Jay-Z, which are both on the Rolling Stones 500 Greatest Albums list of all time. Yep. (sighs) Yes, um, there's a lot of music, and people stop caring. And there's a lot of movies, and it's just... Well, it's it's like, where did you listen to music after 9-11? It's one of the more bizarre things... Getting into the news of 2010 9-11 happens. Mm-hmm. And I remember the radio station, It was. it's one of the most bizarre things about what happened. All the radio stations got taken over by up-to-the-minute news. You couldn't hear music. I, I'm going to guess in most of the country. It was just updates on what the fuck is going on. Because yeah. uh, I don't remember the timeline exactly, but I, I think I've told this story in a podcast before. A friend of mine was turning himself in to go to jail. And had called me to say goodbye. And it was somewhere six, seven, eight in the morning. Like, yeah, should only be like a year. Holy shit, a plane just like what? And I woke everybody up in the house and I was living with Sarah's husband. And we were like the only, if you can believe it, I was the guy who like, I don't care how much cable costs. We're getting it. And uh, and we were living near campus while we were all going to college. So our house kind of became this beacon that people Mm -hmm. floated in and out of. To see like what the fuck is going on? I went to school and all my, my classes are canceled. I don't listen to the news because we lived in a world where like you could be twenty and not know at all what's happening in the world. Mm-hmm. There's no social media yet, and people people like what the fuck happened at school? There's just barricades in front of everything because even in a small the small town of Tallahassee, Florida, I even remember my friend like Sam and I were like, "What the fuck? Who is Osama bin Laden?" And my other friend was like, "Fuck this! I'm joining the army." And the army station had cement barriers so trucks couldn't drive through them because that's how fucking crazy everything was on that Tuesday 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, e- everyone decided that their small town was going to be the next target. Yes. Which yeah. was just, eh, we could get into, oh yeah, everyone got funneled all kinds of federal money for, yeah, let's just in case Al-Qaeda decides to blow up the propane tanks at that gas station, bro. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, their targets are bigger yeah kind They've of the already biggest. hit two embassies and the uss coal they they don't care about your high school bro yeah mm-hmm. but it i i sort of get it it made us all nuts it's still one of those events that like i think if you would have asked me 
I think Sam and I were vaguely political, but like I may have said it like a party. I'm not really political. I don't have a stance on anything because I don't have to. I don't have to think about anything. 9-11 made everyone have to think about everything all the time. It changed for, for my generation. It changed. There was no more generations of happy, go lucky, do whatever you want and not consider the results of your behavior or what's how the ramifications on the rest of the world. And that, among other things, that died a quiet death that day and it was nuts for another couple weeks and the news and another couple years couple years uh, another years. couple years because yeah. we made the joke like watching seinfeld and like his best friend george always meets him at his at his yeah. at his gate when jerry comes off of a plane like you can literally not do that unless you are paying for a fake flight nowadays and yeah. even then that will make you suspect and probably get tackled get you tackled lots uh, of episodes of friends that take place in airport yep saying goodbye saying goodbye at the gate you know picking somebody up at their gate being able to leave a, a car idle outside of an airport <laughs> two days later i remember my dad had to fly somewhere and i remember you know, I'm an adult and sort of screaming at him to almost the point of tears. Don't fucking fly. Why? Like, what's so important you need to fly two days after 9-11? And air traffic resumes over U.S. airspace two yeah. days later. That was I, that was a level of hugeness that, like, we... I, I can't... I don't think we appreciated, because it was so overshadowed, that all flights over the U.S. were grounded, yeah. period. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And, and it ended up being just crazy because everything coming transatlantically all had to go to gander newfoundland which used to be like a refueling stop before you could fly to new york to london or paris right and so hundreds and hundreds of people end up in this small town and like the small town comes together like everyone has to stay at the schools and and they get all the blankets together and all these stories of people, you know, getting grounded, but they're trying to get to dad's funeral and like some stranger drives them 500 miles. Mm-hmm. And you I want to say they made a musical about that. Huh? About Gander? I think so. That'd be a fun <laughs> idea for a musical to have a town like double in size because all the planes are grounded. Yes. It's called Come From Away. Huh. And it's, yep, yep, yep. And it's set after wow. 9 11. Yeah. And it's the true story of. 38 planes that were ordered to land in Gander and all the travelers and everything. Yeah, it's a musical. Broadway oh, that, musical. that is wow. really cool. I did not I never heard of that. that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think our differences in ages are enough that I think we had pretty different experiences. Yeah, I guess. With this. If you were in college, I was working in a newsroom. I was out of mm. college and... I was working swing shift 4 p.m. to 1 a.m. I left work at 1 a.m. to drive up to see Michael, my now husband, which took about six hours. Mm. Once I got into the mountains right at the California-Oregon border, the radio's all cut out, so I had to change over to a.m. And that's the only reason I was listening when the first plane hit. Wow. Oh, wow. And I remember thinking really clearly, they said it was just like a Cessna, like a small plane. And then I was thinking... But they're like right next to the water. Why wouldn't you ditch into the water if you had a problem? That doesn't make any sense. And then you could hear commotion at NPR as they figure out, oh, no, a second plane, the second tower. And I gunned it so hard. I was doing 90 something, uh, just hauling ass. I just like got to Michael's house like, I'm glad to see it. Turn on the TV. Holy shit. Right. And And, and uh, yeah, I still I had a friend who was uh, sleep. uh, platonic friend who was sleeping in my bed because it was that era of moving out of your parents house everybody we had a ton of people at the house and she went back to bed while the rest of us watched like literally watched the buildings fall without knowing they were going to do that which is one of those moments like i wish i never had to see but i'm glad i did yeah Uh, 
I don't, I, I totally understand her reaction to stuff like that. Yeah. I, I mean, that is, I think for some people and a very appropriate reaction, probably some, probably how I would deal with it. I too. mean, you know, this friend and you <laughs> think you've taken some different stances on her because who remains apolitical doesn't give a shit about much to this day. Yeah. I was in high school. You were in high school. I was a wow. junior in high school and I truly actually, so I feel like uh, my brain does a lot of trauma blocking of things because there are things I just don't remember uh, from my would, childhood and teenager time. So would, you would have been in school yes, when this yeah, happened because you're on class. the East Coast, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't remember finding out what happened. Like, I don't remember how they told us, but I do remember you're reading a called... book about a billy goat and you just kept reading it, Sarah. You wouldn't know. <laughs> <You know, laughs> disassociated and kept on, kept keep it on. But I do remember being called out of class up to the uh, front office because my dad had called to tell me that I had older siblings, one of whom lived in Manhattan and the other one who lived in D.C. And oh. so my dad called the office, the front office, and they pulled me out of class to let me know that he had t- touched base with both of them and they were okay. How? But that was, I think that's when I was like, oh shit. Yeah. Something very bad is happening I'm, because we, we didn't we... have the experience. Certainly. I know other people talk about like when they were in school, um, people, you know, they rolled in the TVs and they were watching the coverage in school. They, we did not have that experience. It was basically, you, I can't remember exactly what did you leave school. Was. Do you think? I don't, I don't think so. I'd have to ask my mom, honestly, because that part, I just do not have a recollection I of it. I think leaving. I trauma blocked it. A honestly. lot of a lot of people wow. took their kids out of school that that day. And just yeah. if, if your dad yeah, got through I to, would. to anybody in New York, like I remember, we had one friend who had just left for New York, and yeah. we to call the entire city yeah. uh, and the surrounding boroughs and getting that like the phone is off the hook noise, and we're yep. like, well, let's call the police station. Like we're getting the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. The only way yeah. we can see what's happening in New York is on TV, and and we yeah. found out what happened. Like he. All the subway shut down. He had to walk back to Brooklyn or something like that, mm-hmm. like over a bridge with like hundreds of people and one of the most surreal experiences of his life. Yeah, we didn't find him until the next day. And yeah, I had people. It took a couple of days for me to finally like get word through someone, through someone, through yeah. someone, because I had two friends who World Trade Center was their subway stop for work because <laughs> On top of being giant freaking buildings full of like 50,000 people, they're also like a major transit center. There's kind of like a mall almost underneath. And yeah. And here's where I don't want to derail too much, but can we talk about conspiracy theories for a second? Sure. I got I got one from 9-11. All right. Um, 9-11 truthers are the wrongest wrong that there is wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, I there's a couple conspiracies I could get on board with. The idea that uh, the Bush administration knew this was going to happen and did nothing to prevent it. Highly unlikely but not impossible. The idea that Flight 93 was shot down instead of being that's the one down. That's I remember watching live and the news telling me there were fucking fighter planes in the air yeah. behind the plane ready to shoot it down at the president's whim. And then they never brought that up or reran that clip again. And yeah, that, that is I, literally how all the, the conspiracies nowadays starts. The news speculates on something and yep. doesn't cover it again. And people assume. And I'm part <laughs> I, that's why I don't like spreading the theory. I just get weirded out when I see the movies like United 93 and like... Mm plane really not shot down yeah, this one was like if it were shot down i'm okay with that right you know i understand a lot of people wouldn't be but mm-hmm. given the time yeah i get it the idea that the pentagon was hit by a missile no there's a lot mm-hmm. of office buildings nearby that would have seen it they all saw planes and lastly the world trade center itself i think a lot of the conspiracy nuts don't understand those buildings were built in a particular way 
that made them especially susceptible to this that nobody thought of because mm -hmm. no one has ever done anything crazy like this. So the thing that I remember even as a kid being really impressed by that the World Trade Center inside the office space, there were no internal supports, no mm -hmm. columns, no load bearing walls. They were designed specifically so that the internal supports are invisible around the elevator shafts and there's the interlocking steel mesh on the outside. And that's what held the buildings up. So could you do a controlled demolition of that? Kind of not, mm -hmm. because the outside of the building holds so much of it up. Mm -hmm. Also, it would make a lot of noises, like the explosions. So, no, you can't like, do a controlled demolition. And I feel like all those theories neglect, like, it, it was fortified, jet fuel can't melt steel beams. I'm like, but you know what the building was never tested for? 12 stories falling from the top to the next yeah. 12 stories. Like They don't need to melt the steel beams yeah. anyway. They just yeah. need to soften the steel beams, which ramming a plane at 500 miles an hour and then exploding will kind of fuck up all of those supports, the external and, and, have, if and you, the internal. If you've been on, on the top of the World Trade Center, if you were ever did, it fucking sways in a way that is yes. like so unnerving. Yeah. It, it, like, no building I've ever been on has done that. Mm -hmm. uh, it's yeah. Yeah. So all they had to do was, you know, take out some of the supports. Now all the weight of all those above floors are now pushing down on it. And that's why the one that was hit second, that was hit lower, that section has more weight on it. That brings it down and it starts going floor by floor by floor by floor yeah. coming down. What happened to world trade center seven? Was that an internal demolition? No, it had 1.8 million tons of thing fall right next to it. Mm-hmm. That's why it fell down. It's like these motherfuckers also, have never played yes, Jenga. Also, yes, Jews died. This, everyone didn't get a phone call that said, hey, Jews, don't show up tomorrow because Israel's going to blow up the World Trade Center. That's stupid. We don't all get calls from Assad telling us what to do. Also, it is not beneficial to Israel <laughs> to draw us into a war in Iraq or Afghanistan. And if they had set it up, they would have framed them better. God. And every Sorry. time... Every time I, <laughs> I watch that Loose Change video, I shouldn't even said the name. It's just so yeah. awful. It's because it's like, you can't just believe in every conspiracy theory because at least two of them will cancel the others out and make everything yeah. bullshit. And that video does that like seven times. Mm -hmm. But then, like, nah, dude, sorry, you can't have all these theories together. It just doesn't work. And I think, I think though, I mean, so I had heard about conspiracy theories before, like, mainly the JFK one. But this is the yeah. first time that I really saw like a mass phenomenon of conspiracy theorists yeah. talking. And one of yeah. the reasons I think people get into conspiracy theories is because it eliminates the randomness of the universe. If there is yes. a grand scheme yeah. behind things, it gives people who have a lot of anxiety about how random death can be. Mm -hmm. It gives them a sense of control Mm -hmm. An illusion of control to believe yeah. that there's some grand plan behind everything. And I think that so many people were so shocked by what happened and the simplicity with which it was pulled off. It, yeah. it hit so close to home, literally and figuratively for so, so, so many people and had such lasting rippling effects throughout our society that I could see why a lot of people would be susceptible to some conspiracy thinking about it mm -hmm. because that sense of control, that sense of safety, is a, it, it really destroyed the illusion that there is, it really showed that there's a thin membrane of safety. <laughs> well, it's, it's that you, you still see it with mass shootings to this day, especially with right wing people who don't want to confront the idea that sending a steady stream of guns out to anyone you want can easily just as a law of averages have this consequence. Someone 
just snaps inside them and easily can go shoot 10 and 10 to 12 people before they're taken down. And I watched my right wing friends like, this is impossible. Here's all these conspiracy theories as to why this was happening. Who was covering it up? Like, dude, no, you're, you're excusing the ease and randomness at, at how this can happen. Mm-hmm. And it, it sucks yeah. to confront that. Yeah. No, I, I definitely understand why it, it does create a nice orderly mm-hmm. idea of how things happen and a nice clear cut bad guy. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I've already learned that no matter what happens in the world, there's going to be, you know, 0.001% that think the Jews. <laughs> yeah, which just always like pisses me off personally because, you know, I'm a Jew. And Why? Oh. Apparently, apparently I'm not part of like the vast international cabal that gets all these, you know, cool meetings <laughs> and plans. You are not part of the cool crowd. Yeah. I'm not one of the cool kids. Imagine Diana doing all this work for her people and still having to pay a mortgage and taxes. What yeah, fuck? what the fuck? What Where's the my like five rude. picture deal yeah. already? Like, <laughs> yeah. Come on, I thought we controlled Hollywood, you assholes. Yeah. yeah. So I besides that, it just it's anno- so annoying because it's like, okay, first of all, you're asking me to, you know, who am I gonna believe? Me or your lion eyes? Mm-hmm. Like I know what I saw, I know what my friends in New York saw, I know what millions of people saw. Yeah. And like, second of all, there's always so many people involved in these conspiracies, and like mm-hmm. no one ever tips their hand. Like, have mm-hmm. you ever tried to get like a couple people to decide where to go for dinner. Oh, I How always, do you get everyone on the same page and they'll go, okay. I'm more, I'm yes, more said let's blow up people. Okay. At the time, have you ever seen ha- anything happen in the Bush administration that doesn't immediately leak? No, yeah. There's literally nothing. Remember when they yeah. tried to instill a gay porn star as a fake news reporter? Like that shit was found out in like two days. Like uh, there's, there's the, the, this, these people are not smart enough to orchestrate something like this on a worldwide level and keep everyone quiet. There's, I think there's a formula to how many people need to be involved on a scheme this big. Mm-hmm. And then there's a formula on when people start to talk because they always will. And yeah. no one's talked because nothing happened. And yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's incompetence. There was all kinds of different levels of incompetence from, you know, not flagging the guys at the, uh, the flight schools overstaying their visas. To in Florida, thank the- you. Ignoring the memos about how Osama bin Laden was up to something. Yeah, look, er- everyone dropped the ball. And that's okay, because this is pretty unprecedented. It's the worst terrorist attack in known history. Fuck, yeah, 2,977 people died. I am still shocked it's not more, considering how many people are in those buildings. They were projecting mm-hmm. 5,000 like, day- like two days before they got hard numbers, which, yeah. not to reiterate, we're talking about this week. He didn't have hard numbers on this. These death through it was an awful, awful. It it's one time. of the worst experiences I've I think I've ever lived through nine eleven. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. The global experiences. Um, the worst thing was seeing all of the missing person yeah. posters. Oh, yeah. That I mean, that's something that I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. And going to the nine eleven memorial, they still have parts of that preserved and parts of that up where you can see it. Yeah, that to me is indelible. Like that's. The worst part is all those missing persons. I have yeah. one. I have one more worst part because I'm going to try and transition it over to pop culture. <laughs> okay. Uh, the, the because we have it here on the 14th, Clear Channel Communications temporarily bans 165 songs that are lyrically questionable in quotes uh, after 9/11. Uh, some make sense, as, as writes Diana. So you want to just read this? You wrote this. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So some made sense, like leaving on a jet plane, mm-hmm. disco inferno, and I'll fly away. Okay. Some are really stupid. Like, they might make people feel better. Like, imagine knocking on Heaven's Door in particular. That's the song. I can't explain why, but I listen to that a lot at this period. My, my. Oh, wait, the McCartney one or the Guns N' Roses one? No, the Bob Dylan one. Oh, my you're, bad. You're thinking a different one. You're thinking Guns Live and, and Roses. Let Die. 
Oh, yeah. Live and Let Die, I think, was banned. They're both covered by Guns N' Roses. They banned all Rage Against the Machine. Period. <laughs> Those upstarts can't be on the radio during all this. I won't yeah. allow it. <laughs> 99 Luff Balloons and, like, every version of New York, New York, or any songs that have New York in the title. I recall Dave Matthews' band's Crash, and uh, Live's yep. Lightning Crashes was also banned. Yes. Yep. yep. Definitely. Although I do think that they were playing actually Ryan Adams. I still love you, New York. That was actually because I remember that this I feel I've talked about this so much and nobody else seems to remember it. But like there were like a cycle of like maybe 20 music videos that played Mm. on VH1 and MTV during this time. And it was stuck in a moment. They can't get out of by Mm. YouTube. Everybody hurts, which I was like, yeah. I feel like that was kind of tasteless, honestly. Um, Oh, I got tasteless um, for you. Go ahead. The Ryan Adams New York song, of course, Mm -hmm. Five for Fighting. I'm trying to remember what else. What I I do remember on the radio is that it Mm -hmm. revealed, and again, this is me apolitically becoming political, Clear Channel in particular started holding pro-Bush support the troops rallies. And right in the the immediate shadow of 9-11, brought back Judas Priest and... Metallica Seek and Destroy, which what didn't have heavy radio play until they edited in Bush quotes like, we're going to come get you. Uh, we're coming to get you. Osama bin Laden, Seek and Destroy. We That played in our hometown like for the entire month. And I just got reminded of like the big brotherishness, pure propaganda of how quickly corporate fascism can take over us all. As all these places in our town started holding pro-Bush rallies, they called mm-hmm. them support the troop rallies, but there was violence committed. There was violence committed towards or threatened at people who weren't supporting Bush, not mm-hmm. the troops. And yeah, sorry, I meant this to be funny. <laughs> I meant this to be not not funny, but like uh, interesting because I think mm-hmm. this is uh, when I saw m- most of my favorite talk show hosts cry in the immediate aftermath of this Letterman and John Stewart being chief among them. And uh daily show changed its theme song to something like really weird. Just no more dog on fire. I believe that song's called, but just mm-hmm. a slow synth and a pan over New York city. And um, my least favorite one that everyone would much rather forget the, the biggest tragedy to come out of nine 11, George Carlin special one, one, it was supposed to be, it was the title of it, which they'd advertised was called I kind of like it with when a lot of people die. And, <laughs> and by that he was making some joke like about how how spectator we all get towards national and or global disasters. And like, but that only killed like three people, so I'm not that interested. He eventually did it later on, but he he had to change I think eleven minutes of his act and it ended with I'm the guy who Tells you to question everybody, uh, but I'm also a kid who was born in New York Hospital in New York County in New York City of New York State, and I'm fucking pissed. And I'm and he like gives his support to President George Bush and like takes off his shirt to reveal a New York shirt and like, wow, this is the most un George Carlin thing that has ever happened. Mm-hmm. And it was because of 9/11, and I hate mm-hmm. 9/11 even more for making him feel this way. <laughs> yeah, it's weird to see there was the turn, there mm-hmm. was you know just the the shock and depression, mm-hmm. and then the anger. And then mm-hmm. the, people get angry real fast. And there's some people, it just like broke them politically. Oh, so yeah. I, okay. Dennis Miller. Dennis Miller and Ron Silver are the two they think of. Yep. Like they were lefties or centrist. They were pretty centrist, whatever, but they were equal opportunity. Dennis Miller, especially, was an equal opportunity guy. Yeah. He'd call out bullshit and hypocrisy no matter what side was. Well, and yeah. I don't think that 1995 era Dennis Miller would believe 
the 2004 Dennis Miller would be opening for George W. Bush's reelection. Yes. Or having a radio show where he bans Bush as a, a topic of conversation while he's still president because he just doesn't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. don't Yikes. question our president yeah, yeah. And i remember tough crowd the fantastic show with some of my favorite comics coming on after the daily show and i think it premieres in 2002 but the attitude from these new york comics is still so livid and raw yeah it's there most of them are up on youtube it's still like pretty racist and unacceptable now but it's like you are looking at the immediate aftermath of pain in their backyard. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of those people have changed seemingly their entire political philosophy who are on that yeah. show. But it, it's very interesting to watch these comics literally bleed in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. Yeah, um, I mean, I think that it's literally something bleed. that <laughs> should and will be studied for a really long time is to see how a nation goes through a trauma response together mm. and you know how both individuals experience that trauma and then the entire nation as an organism experiences the trauma and what happens with that and yeah I'll, i mean and we, i'll try we're not still to... feeling the reverberations yeah. and I, we'd have no idea like how how much that reverberates yeah. how out. much of I the mean... patriot act is still intact or mm -hmm. not repealed from all this stuff. And I swear, I hope I won't talk about this again until uh, the South Park episode is the silliest. <laughs> we, every, what is South Park going to do? I can't wait to remind you. Uh, Don't roll your eyes there. It's, it's like, it's one that we needed though. Yeah. It's, it's like, very that silly. was the response I wanted. <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, let's just take the anger and make fun of these fuckers. Let's not mm -hmm. take the anger and talk about how we're going to turn the whole country into glass. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. It's like, yeah. yeah. It's no, sad. you can't do that until you find it on a map, honey. <laughs> Yeah, and also just, oh, what drove me really crazy is within 24 hours, the idea of maybe they did this for a reason. Yep. I remember having that to confront gone. that immediately. That was gone. Almost no, getting into no, a physical they did fight. they because they hate our freedom. Hate our freedom. Or no, do people maybe. not give their lives up for no reason? And maybe this is the only way we will pay attention because we haven't yet. We have not paid attention to anything going on in these other countries. We're, I cannot believe how close the leaving, the, the abandonment of Af Afghanistan happened yeah. to the, the anniversary of 9-11, like almost 20 years to the day of, of quite possibly the worst ramification from all of 9-11 is what happened in Af Afghanistan and the lives lost mm. there. And all that comes from like not understanding or listening to those people ever. Yeah. And yeah. And everyone just said, oh, so you say we deserve 9-11. No, fuck no. No one fucking deserves 9-11. But no one deserves a lot of things that we do overseas that piss mm -hmm. people off. And no, mm -hmm. we should not capitulate immediately to all their demands. I mean, what the? Yeah, people were just so angry. Yeah, the, the, the death count of people who died in the 9-11 disaster on our shores pales in comparison to the civilians who died as a result of 9-11 that are excused by 9-11 mm -hmm. over yeah. the next 20 years. And maybe the show can get fun. <laughs> I mean, uh, literally, I mean, generationally, uh, millennials really, we are all still experiencing the unique trauma of being children when this happened Ugh. and how the effects of 9-11 really has affected our adulthood, our young adulthood, our relationship to the government, our relationship to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Our uh, empl future employment prospects, our earning potential, our <laughs> retirement, probably like uh, it has truly fundamentally changed how millennials. I think when we were children in the 90s, a lot of us millennials, our life and our was going to go a certain way. And it took a hard turn 
when 9-11 happened. And mm. I don't know as many that's, that's generations. I, I don't think gener- a lot of other generations can say that. Yeah. yeah. 9-11, mm-hmm. everyone. Let's hopefully we don't have to talk about it anymore. I've been dreading this whole conversation for the entire year since this show, started, show started. Yeah. And we did it. And we did it like adults. And Mission uh, accomplished. <laughs> look what she just did. Look what she just did. <laughs> yeah. No, we'll, I mean, we'll have plenty more of the sure. fallout. Yeah. Just, just in pop culture. Glitter. Is, is um. pretty freaking weird. Yeah. I mean, the movies for the next couple of weeks, all of them end up losing money because no one wants to go to the movies, whether it's glitter or something much better than glitter. Yeah, maybe we'll, we can talk about that. But the outright cruelty Mariah Carey got shown with glitter oh. as just like, <laughs> Yeah, this seems like a good punching bag after all we've been through. We don't have to feel guilty about like mm-hmm. kicking Mariah Carey in the dick publicly over and over again. In hindsight, it was very excessive. And that movie is like yes. not bad enough to be like the worst thing in the world, but was like just what everyone needed at a time when like, let's hate something innocuous, please. Something that's not gonna <laughs> result in another nine eleven. You don't think these studio executives are gonna go or target our buildings, do you? <laughs> I can't wait to watch it, honestly. I still haven't seen it and I know that it's oh, um, it's something special to behold. But uh, yes, I always suspected it's not as bad as everyone says mm-hmm. it is. Nah. I mean I was bored by it, but I I, I maybe I'll give it a rewatch here. I can't guarantee it because it was really boring. But it's like yeah. what movie with Mariah Carey wasn't gonna be boring to me? Precious. Pre- is she in Precious? Yeah. I, I like Famously. Precious. And she's uh, really good. Based yes. on the novel Tush by Assfire. I like that. Um, I like that movie. It's the 30 Rock version. <laughs> um, okay, we got to. We should move into the movies because these were... I didn't want to go anywhere for a while after this. We were all kind of like hunkered yeah. down and scared. And I remember people, groups of people spending more times in houses talking than had happened in a long time. Mm-hmm. They were all, yes, party and occasional hookup situations, but they were weird. Sitting down and people just talking about what the fuck did you hear today? That kind of shit felt like felt always felt like a movie. Even going to get pizza, like everybody's getting pizza. Shut the fuck up! The president's about to say something. Cranks the radio up. <laughs> like that's that's. Uh, but we none of us wanted to set foot in a movie theater. It was the last thing we were thinking of all the time. And the movies of 2011 that came out this week: Kill Me Later with Selma Blair, Max Beasley, and Brendan Fur. Unfortunate. Uh, that's a pretty unfortunate title. Uh, I mean, it's a small indie movie where I think Selma Blair like wants to kill herself and then she gets involved. She gets like stuck in a hostage situation or a bank robbery of some kind. And then she's like trying to get them to kill her. And they're like, well, if you help us with this robbery, we will kill her. I, well, all right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, reviews were kind of rough. And that makes me sad because I like Selma Blair, but she can't open a movie yet. But you know what they say, Diana, people who live in glass houses. This is terrible. You're not trying to open a movie as a star. Uh, but no. Selen Sarsgaard, Diane Lane, and Lily Sobieski are with the glass house. Also, not a great, great uh, title. Great title. Uh, this sounds like this sounds like a really fancy Lifetime movie, oh. where like Lily Sobieski and her brother, like their parents die, and they end up with Diane Lane and Stellan Skarsgård as their guardians, who are like totally trying to like steal their money, and they're on all this stuff. There's hijinks, like they're saying, "Oh no, we need all this money from their trust to get private school," but they're actually pocketing the money because Stellan Skarsgård is into the mob or. Lone Sharks or someone, which it's weird. We have two movies with Diane Lane and Lone Sharks this week, wow. both right next to each other. Yeah. So, you know, like it's a thriller of the, they're being trapped in this house and trying to get away from the evil adults who are trying to kill them. And again, reviews are sort of like, yes, well, if, okay. if we're being clear, like these are movies that released the Friday after 9-11, right? Yeah. They were like, there's no stopping this release. We're just going to no. put it out. Yeah. Because a lot exactly. of what we'll see after this is the postponement of a lot of things. 
a couple things will get postponed and a lot of things they're just like oh fuck i don't know let's oh just do god. it maybe this will make people feel better I just, <sighs> oh, I just thought about snl oh my god oh, oh, giuliani gets to open it up oh oh we made it this far talking 9-11 without bringing him up <laughs> I did it. Everyone write it down. Um, Good for us. I guess I have to get my head shaved at the end of the show, according to our bylaws. Um, but... We did ratify this. In <laughs> hindsight, I don't know how to say this, the perfect movie to open a 9-11, the movie possibly most likely to guarantee the furthest from what you don't want to think about. Mm. Number one at the box. Yeah, it was number one at the box office. Uh, Hardball yep. with Keanu Reeves, Diane Lane, John Hawks, D.B. Sweeney, and Tiny Baby. Michael B. Jordan. Michael yeah. Baby Jordan. They're the worst team in the league. You guys stink. But they're about to get a little help from the last person they ever expected. You guys will never be a team until you see what played right. Those kids trust you, and they don't trust anybody. Got it. Keanu Reeves. Why do you use a hedge and walk? Hardball. You're not really trying to get Miss Wilkes, are you? No, what? Good, because I already tried, and she ain't having it. With PG-13, stop. Ooh, what's that? Uh, what's that music from, Diana? Forrest Gump. Really? <laughs> the, one of my least favorite Keanu Reeves movies, yet one of the most successful of his career. Hardball. What? This yeah. was so strange as a Keanu Reeves movie. Like, I apparently the the producer said like this is they only wanted Keanu. There was no other options, and it's like he seems so miscast mm-hmm. because he's like a degenerate gambler the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like, have any recollection of this. I think yeah. it, it played better on, on premium cable uh, like a year later and it, mm-hmm. where it ran all the time. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So it's so okay. So Keanu Reeves is a degenerate gambler who is into a bunch of loan sharks and he gets this deal to like, Hey, help my company with this, like help this uh, kid's baseball team in the projects in Chicago. And then like, Oh, these poor kids, he's just got a, they're a ragtag group and he brings them all together. And Oh, he learn about the, how terrible their lives are in the projects and like he you know he teaches the kids but also the kids teach him mm-hmm. but it was <laughs> a lot less sappy than i was expecting first of all it, it wasn't as sappy and it wasn't as bad news bears like funny mm-hmm. like it treats the kids lives like the the threats that they're under like real seriously and it's kind of scary at points you know like the threat of violence is like constantly there and then they pay it off in just the most brutal way that i did not see coming there's a kid gets shot oh my wow. gosh a little little kid gets shot that kid looks like a really tall three-year-old she oh baby will always remember you i finished watching the movie and i described it to michael and he's like wasn't that a ben affleck movie and I was like, no, but it should have been. Like, that would be better <laughs> yeah. casting because Keanu Reeves is just not, he just doesn't seem like a skeezy enough guy. Mm. I mean, yeah, especially with what we know about him now. Mm-hmm. And it also, yeah. like, he typically chose more interesting projects. I hate some of the movies Keanu chose to do, but he, he other than, like, Chain Reaction, the dude didn't, this is typical Hollywood pep, and he kind of avoided that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's oh. weird because just because... I don't know if I can recommend it because it was a lot better than I was expecting just because mm. it was like grittier than I was expecting, but also not. Mm. Um, I, I, it is weird to see tiny baby Michael B. Jordan. I mean, before The Wire, he's like 14. I, I tried to watch it, but I searched for Hardball September 14, 2001 and just got an unintelligible Chris Matthews rant. And I just <laughs> <laughs> Baseball is uh, 9-11. Uh, yeah, no, I didn't. <laughs> Keanu does some acting in here, and it's like we're right at the transition where he starts to be able to act. Yeah. 
It's like he like gives an emotional speech and you're like, that was okay. That was not embarrassing. Like I feel like the Matrix is like the the switch flips a little bit. He starts to learn how to act. Oh my god, I've never been so nervous (laughs) than every day I wake up, I'm like I tap my phone screen, it's like, is the Matrix trailer out yet? I'm so afraid. I'm so afraid of Matrix Four. The Matrix Mm. Four cannot hurt you, Chris. I don't know if that's true. It's so special to me. The two there were two more the two most important moments of my young adult life might have been the Matrix and nine eleven. I'm not kidding. And probably yeah. the release of the PS2. Moving to television. Oh, one of the things I did want to say, um, and there's plenty of other places you can look to or more articulately state this. This is pretty much the dawn of this, not cable news, but the style of cable news. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, and if, you, if you're not sure what I'm talking about, the style of cable news is to make everything 9-11. Because I could not look, no one could look away. All those things like breaking news, and then you have a fucking orchestra play over like a ten million dollar CGI piece that starts this week um, or next week rather. And Fox is kind of responsible for that too. The, the lavish display uh, and panicky extravagance of cable mm. news starts right now. It's twenty years old. Speaking of nine eleven, the Emmys are postponed on TV this week. Yeah, looking at TV, I mean. I, oh God! Flipping through the listings, primetime and nine eleven coverage on yeah. every channel. It's fucking nuts. Nothing. And yeah. again, I'm, I can't think of anything similar that's happened since then. Where that a would a lot t- of careers got made with this. Yeah, a lot of news careers. That's true. Because you just yeah. had to be on camera and say things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like advance. During yeah. a time where people, I mean, fulfilling a really specific weird need where people like are craving information, information, craving answers, and we have zero, but you have to be on camera and you have to be filling the air with your voice. Like mm-hmm. that is very difficult to do. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I remember from the Gulf War, that's when like Wolf Blitzer, both of his, his name and his presence, mm-hmm. he became worldwide famous, but it's like. I don't know anything else about that guy because all he did was re- straight-facedly read a teleprompter. He never challenged or questioned anything he was saying. I don't know what he believes. Or uh, he ha- he, I'm Wolf Blitzer. He has he has no he has no news moment other than being there to read a teleprompter when you needed him to. And uh, I would try, who are the newscasters who come out of this era that you can think of? Is is this where Cooper Anderson Cooper? Now he rises up a little while later. Mm. Um, but that's a question I'm sure our listeners can answer because like uh, there's a lot of people who become famous after this, and I think the, the ratings in cable news goes up and never leaves after 9/11. I could be misremembering this. I know she was a thing before, but I feel like Katie Couric really hmm. becomes America's reassuring mom. That's totally hmm. possible during this time period. I mean, we get we have yeah. a couple more weeks to enjoy Dan Rather. Um. Yeah, <laughs> I just I don't know how they were filling their time because I because I was working in a newsroom. I stopped watching the news generally because right. I was getting enough of it at work. And I remember, like a year or two later, I read a study about how how many journalists had PTSD, including ones that never went to New York and were never reporting from on the ground. And I kind of get it just because like you spend so much time with the details and the minutia of stuff. Like part of my job was cutting stories down to fit a certain length. And so like my decision to like cut this person's story and this person's story and this guy who's been digging, looking for his wife. And now I can't share that with people. And uh, uh, yeah. On, on I the, get it. The total opposite side of the coin. The Proud Family debuts. Yeah, uh, good for them. Let's yeah, let's debut a new cartoon. Well, it's 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 for kids mostly, and like yeah, why not give 
Let kids think everything is fine. Yeah. Young kids should think everything is fine. I didn't notice this even existed until years later that if it came out during this period. We were too busy panically reading new books and learning about our horrible administration that we didn't want elected in the first place. Speaking and it's coming back. Is it? Yeah. Proud Family, Louder and Prouder is supposed to come to Disney Plus next year. Goddamn oh, right. Yay. Uh, and a book I remember reading, Life of Pi. Also yeah. comes out uh, this week, which was absolutely great. Yeah, really, really, it really does take you away. I mean, it's magical realism. I think I would classify oh, yeah. it as. It's a story of a kid who is whose family owns a zoo, and they're moving the zoo basically, and they're all on a ship. Uh, all the animals are on a ship, and then the ship sinks, and he gets into he gets himself into a, a rescue boat. No, a mm -hmm. uh, life, life raft, raft. Mm -hmm. um, with some of the animals. But it kind of turns into a bit of a fable. It kind of turns into a bit of a fantasy. But it's it's fantastic. It's truly beautiful writing by uh, I believe Jan Mertel is the um, author. And yeah. I really recommend it. A, a modern classic, honestly. I've read the book, no? but I uh, a long time ago, but I never finished the movie. Was, the movie oh. I felt was I yeah. Well, I, mean, I I've only seen the movie. I haven't read the book. I thought the movie was fantastic. Mm. But as me, Ang Lee. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Rhythm and Hughes, the effects house that brought the tiger to life, was put out of business and got nominated for Oscars anyway because the world is unfair. Life of Pi is out, and then oh boy, video games. Of 2001, uh, September 10th to the 16th. Jurassic Park 3, Park Builder, no harm there. Portal Runner, uh, Heavy Metal Geomatrix. Whoo, Ooga Booga. Uh, a yeah. game, oh boy, a game. Uh -oh. It's Polynesian themed and you oh, ride no. around on oh. a, with a big mask on an animal and throw th th things that look like spears. And then lots of GPA games, such as Power Rangers Time Force. A Klonoa sequel and... I don't know where you file this. One of the greatest games Nintendo has decided to not care about anymore, Advance Wars, comes to the GBA. A very great tactical war game. Very cute, though. Um, Nintendo-fied for the Game Boy. I believe the first time we got it on American shores, they had already the series already existed for Japan, but it's the first one America gets. And they made, I would think, I would think most people say like three perfect games and never touch the series again until I believe there's a new one coming out soon but it's uh, advanced wars <laughs> we'll talk more about that on the video game show i'm sorry this was so much 9-11 and so to close us out we're gonna play everything clear channel told us we couldn't 20 years ago uh, <laughs> all at the same oh, time this will get us banned from spotify or itunes what do you feel knocking on heaven's door or fire and rain were two of those like that's just egregious oh. these are songs that will make people feel better the yeah. james taylor song yeah yeah the james yeah. taylor song i don't know whichever one you guys want um, they both offend me deeply for <laughs> for being out after 9-11. <laughs> How dare they, honestly. Um, I think Sarah wants to go with the Guns N' Roses knocking on Heaven's Door. Sure. No, true. don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, as long as it makes everyone forget 9-11, we've done the right thing. But hey, people, <laughs> there's still another decade that is relatively tragedy-free that we have to talk about after this. So don't move. Stay right there. Mama, take this badge off of me I can't use it anymore It's getting dark, too dark to see I feel I'm knocking on heaven's door Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door 
ships at sea it's time for diana's classic corner we'll go even further back in time this week to see if there's anything worth a watching and for the week of september 10th through 16th i apologize for my ranting a little bit about conspiracy theories just because they annoy me because of all the effort people put into them they could put into like useful things like learning to play the accordion or like actually going after bad people who actually did bad things you know like real ones Anyway, um, so I thought long and hard of, like, what should I recommend 9-11 related? And I actually have two documentaries that, if you're under, like, 25, I think would be pretty useful. They're useful documents because they're mostly made with on-the-ground footage by amateurs. And I think they're both on A&E, actually. Uh, which, I mean, this week, there's so many 9-11, looking back 20 years later, documentaries. But these, uh, th- these I feel like recommending, like, as documentary journalism uh the first one is seven days in september from 2002 which is literally just like people who lived in lower manhattan just documenting what life was like you know after the the attack and you see that conflict right away of people being angry and people wanting to know what happened and people being scared and it, it captures the feeling in the whole country in microcosm very very well and the other one is from 2011 for the 10th anniversary, 104 Minutes to Changed America, which I don't know if it's streaming. Seven Days in September, I believe, is on Tubi. 104 Minutes to Changed America. Sorry, 102 Minutes. Not 104, 102. I found just by Googling it, and it was on some random website. But it is no narration, no talking heads. It's just cutting together in real time footage from people in the area. And some of that's people looking at their apartments. And some of that is firefighters on the ground and you know people moving uptown away from the the, the, and like a lot of the footage they intentionally stopped showing on air once they realized like how bad the fires were how people were jumping it's not gory obviously it's going to be disturbing but it's a look at the world trade center attack that was very different from anything i had seen before or since so those are my two recommendations for a 9-11 related documentary seven days in september or 102 minutes that changed america i think they're pretty worth watching especially if you were really young at the time and and you don't have the clear memories that some of us old fogies have and then for a much much more pleasant recommendation 70 years ago this week 1951 saw the release of alfred hitchcock's strangers on a train Woo! we're back to murder Uh, You got someone you want to get rid of? I got someone I want to get rid of. How about we trade murders? And this guy's like, no, you're weird, dude. I'm on a train with you and I don't like it. And then he's like, okay, I'm super going to kill the person anyway. So Throw Mama from a Train is based on this. You know, it's the comedy version. But shout out to Pat Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock's daughter, who just passed away a couple weeks ago. She has a part in Strangers on a Train where she's really good. And I wish she had had more of an acting career. You know, she pops up in Psycho. This is probably her biggest part. And she's just this odd little character actress. <laughs> and yeah, God love her. Pat Hitchcock made it to like 90 um, and just, just passed away. So that's another reason that you should watch Strangers on a Train um, 1951. And that's it for this week. Stay classic. I've got them moves like Jagger I've got them moves 
coming in 2011. Wow, this couldn't be further from our previous segment. Moves Like Jagger by Maroon 5. It's number one this week. September 10th to the 16th of 2011. Ten years later. Welcome to 2011. It will not be as dour as the previous segment. Is, no, if we can call it that. a lot less dour. I think we got... We covered a lot of the big topics that we're going to have to deal with. I'll, I'll save I'll save one 9-11 thing related to TV. But music, music coming out 10 years ago from when you're listening. Hope. Worship Music by Anthrax. Uh, Welcome to My Nightmare by Alice Cooper. You promised me this is 2011. And we have Alice <laughs> Cooper and Anthrax in here. Yeah. Uh, the Sea of Memories by Bush. Bush in 2011? All right. Um, Tell, tell us what tell us what it is, Mr. Gwen Stefani. Uh, Relax by Das Racist. Das Racist! That means it's go. 2011. All right. Uh, Dead Throne by The Devil Wears Prada. Self-titled by Stained. And mm-hmm. That's their most recent studio album? Mm-hmm. Were they the only band who would perform for the previous president? Now, there was three doors down. I don't want to put mm-hmm. any st- uh, stain on Stained. Don't, um, don't besmirch Stained. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Great sentence. Understand That we've, uh, we've Grown to Be by We Came as Romans. Heritage by Opeth. Velociraptor by Kasabian and the only release by the supergroup Super Heavy, Mick Jagger, Dave Stewart, Joss Stone, Damian Marley, and A.R. Rahman? Rahman? Yeah. Wow. What a group. I want to go to that dinner party. I don't care what you guys play. How do these people know each other? (laughs) I don't know. Uh, Joss Stone? Yeah, fabulously wealthy, I bet. Probably in the same Manhattan, have lived somewhere in the same Manhattan neighborhood two weeks out of the year. A.R. Rahman, though, is like a film composer, right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, most people know from, like, uh, Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah, 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 yeah. Huh. <laughs> okay. Okay, yeah. Dave Stewart's the, the other guy that's not Annie Lennox from the Mix. <laughs> okay, that's yeah. helpful, because I didn't want to ask, but... Yeah. And the, yeah, sing- the, the single, Lick Mick I'm Arse? Okay, thank you so much to Jonathan for letting me know about this, because I only do LPs and occasionally EPs, and I don't know when there's just a single released. Yeah. And he let me know about this. Lek Mick Im Arsa by credited writers in St. Clown Posse, Jack White, and Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Wow. The three people I want to meet in heaven. Yeah. So <laughs> Mozart wrote some like joke songs back in the day. What? Including Lek Mick Arse, which is, you know, lick my ass. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. well, just like anyone, like he would take a, a song and he would like make up funny lyrics to play at a party. And Jack White contacted Insane Clown Posse and said, hey, do you want to collaborate on this? And they did. All right. Jack White. So cool guy. Goddamn. All right. Yeah. You can play some of it. I I grabbed it for you. It is enchanting. We heard something. Mozart had wrote it. Collabo style. Had the whole garden. A little trick. Conflicted by freaks. Step one. Spread your butt cheeks. The most hopeless (laughs) of music. And since that's our game, I'm going to use it. So we jump in the jack white track And we can't keep these bitches tongues out our ass crack Lick on the left side Lick on the right Lick down the middle Okay, that's tight Lick, make art all through the night <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so ha- I'm so happy right now My See, God Makes everything better Oh, a jam I've never heard of from Two of the most unlikely allies in the resistance The Insane Clown Posse I'm real proud of those guys <laughs> Get, get better soon, Violent J. 2011 news. Ah, the 9-11 memorial is dedicated to the World Trade Center. Yeah. Um, which I have never seen. Like, I don't even know what it looks like. I'm not kidding. I, I know what it looks like. I mean, the, the memorial is like the footprints of the building, and it's like a waterfall into mm-hmm. it, and the names mm-hmm. are around it. Yeah, I haven't been to New York since... 
when was I there? Like 2003. So mm-hmm. I was there. It was just a giant hole. I was and there in 05 the... when it was a, still a big hole. And then during this yeah. period, I was there like twice a year and never saw what this is. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. the the sculpture that used to be between the towers was down in Battery Park. With, mm. And it's it was still intact with a big ass dent in it. And I thought like, that is a very good memorial, actually. Oh, yeah. 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 I we went to it. I saw it in 2016 on my bachelorette party. <laughs> Eat little but, chocolate penises, look at the 9 11 memorial. Yeah, <laughs> we're wearing a, a tiara and a sash that said, like, top bitch. <laughs> at a very unconventional bachelorette party. We also saw Chris Gethard's show about him, uh, his depression and anxiety issues. Oh, it's on HBO, right? It's good. Yeah, it was uh it was really good. But yeah, we uh we went to that. It was very beautiful and we went up to the top of the um Memorial? the new building. Mm. The Freedom Tower. Yes. Freedom Tower. It was scary. And the fastest elevator I've ever been in. Man, those mm-hmm. elevators in those the buildings cool. are so fucking crazy. Yeah. The elevator's cool because like all the walls turn into like screens and it like simulates the city building like, itself up. Building, yeah, like mm-hmm. over time. Ooh. It's really cool. And then I got up there at the very top and I was looking out over the the view, like out the window, and I thought, we're tempting God. We should go. <laughs> this seems not good. Let's go. Uh, Let's get out of here. Did you see any helicopters? Because that, that's the worst part for me is that you're taller than the helicopters right now. Oh, yeah. yeah that's not a good feeling. I'm just like, nope, 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 nope. This yeah. is against God and nature. I don't think yep. so. Weird. The last time that happened to me was your neck of the woods, being t- being standing higher than a helicopter. And uh, movies of 2011. And this is a weird <laughs> note. Uh, the Lion King 3D re-release is number one at the box office, so you know it's pretty slow this week. Yeah. A 1994 animated Disney yep. movie. Um, yep. And I remember this is this movie underperformed to the point where like we're just not going to do these anymore, and it still beat everything that was released this week. Yeah, um, it's. I mean, it's the slow week. The the big movie we have to talk about. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it made money. It's not, but it's not a blockbuster or anything. It's right. just like critically worth talking about. Yeah, the rest of it is sort of like nope, nope, mm-mm, nope. And we have uh, Restless with Henry Hopper, Mia. Uh, oh, Jesus. Washington. <laughs> Every time. I know. Every time she gets, yeah, Vasilkowska. Vasilkowska, uh, Shyler Fisk, Jane Adams, Chin Han. I can do that one. Rio Kasi and Luis Estros. Uh, never heard of this, Diane. So it's directed by Gus Van Sant and it's oh. produced by Ron Howard and his daughter. Rebel? Sorry. Yes, Rebel Alley. <laughs> I mean, it sounds weird because it sounds very Harold and Maude-ish. I'm afraid I didn't get around to it. And that it's about this guy, like he goes to funerals and he meets this girl who's like also goes to funerals, but she's dying. Also, he's like haunted by a dead kamikaze pilot. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, so is this like Harold and Maude versus like Fault in Our Stars, I guess? Other okay. other ones were like good performances, but whatever. And it's like, oh, okay, restless, sorry. It sounds like the kind of movie like someone out there, that's their favorite movie. Mm. And no one has heard of it and it makes them mad. And I apologize to that person. Well, I know a movie that will not fit in that category ever. Uh, the remake if of it, Straw, Straw if Dogs. If it does, you run. <laughs> if someone says the remake of Straw Dogs is their favorite movie, you girl, you run. But if you hear, uh, he was an extra in Straw Dogs, you're watching Hot Fuzz. And it's great. Uh, <laughs> and it's one of the best jokes in the movie I wish people got. Because it's this is the weird era of remakes of what were unreleasable movies back in the day. Famously banned movies getting remakes. And Straw Dogs, the original, I've seen three times. It's incredibly... Well, I got a copy of it when it was hard to find. 
Yeah. And and film nerds know this the Sam Peckinpah Dustin Hoffman original tawdry tale of deep England country revenge and rape. But why remake it? It has one of the most brutal on-screen rapes in in cinema history, and that's one of the most notable things about it. That's why the joke in Hot Fuzz works. Uh, <laughs> and then remake it with James Martin, Marsden, Kate Bod- Bosworth, Alexander Sarsgaard, Dominic Purcell. What the fuck? And Sir Walton Goggins. Sir Walton Goggins. And James, mm-hmm. America's Rose, James Woods. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I know. I had no interest in seeing this at all. Like this, I'm only watching this now because it's a, a historical footnote and a product of its time. I don't want to see this story at all. Yeah. It's so strange that, that it's the exact same movie. The The plot is the same. Um, they transport it from England to like Mississippi, which is kind of insulting to the entire South. Yeah, because it I, is I believe that... that's why it was banned in England in the first place, not because yeah. they're uncomfortable with scenes of rape. Like, why would you? Why would you depict us like this, mate? <laughs> we would never do this. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's about you know the lo- local yokels uh, gang rape Kate Bosworth and uh, make James Marsden feel like, you know, he's less of a man because he's not violent. And then it all erupts in horrible violence. And even the posters, the same. Yeah. Yeah. I I was, I was, I was offended. This movie existed and I didn't get around to it this time, even though this fared much better than like, I spit on your grave, which, you know, if you were a little kid reading magazine band film lists, those were all on the same list. Back oh, hell yeah. <laughs> uh, but Straw Dogs is a little more redeemable than I Spit on Your Grave, but still, like, the need to remake it is just baffling, especially with this cast. Why did you yeah. do this? I don't I don't know. And some of the reviews were like, yeah, it's fine, but why did you do this? Yeah. It's like, did, did we need to go back and do this? I don't know. But, it like, it's fine, but why? It's like, <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, and uh, hard pivot to uh, I don't know how she does it. With uh, SJP, Sarah Jessica Parker, Pierce Brosnan, Craig Kinnear, Christina Hendricks. Wow, she's in two of the top movies this week. Kelsey Grammer, Seth Meyers, and Olivia Munn. I just don't know how. That should have been the sequel. Mm -hmm. I just don't know how she does it. And then the threequel, I just don't know how she does it TOO. Because her mom (laughs) joins or something. This could be a big step up. Gives your kids a chance to spend all that extra quality time they've been hoping for. With your nanny. Did you take Ben to get his haircut? Yeah. Oh, that was his first haircut. Everything okay? Yep. I just kept picturing little tiny bugs propelling out of my hair into his inbox. Oh, our kids' lice. I get it. This title makes a little more sense now that we're talking about single mom. How did she do it? Oh, she's not, no, single. She's not a single mom. Oh, not a single no. mom. No. Then fuck this. Why does this movie exist? <laughs> oh, man. I watched this movie. Of course you did. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. When it came out or for the show? No, for the show. I figured this would be the one that I probably only I would watch, so I would do it for the team. Thank you. Um, yeah, no problem. It, it's actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. The first major part of it was extremely painful to <laughs> for me to watch because, yeah. I mean, it's a story of, like, Sarah Jessica Parker. She's got this, like, very high-powered career, and she's got this husband, and she's got two kids, and she's trying to juggle like you know bake sales and her job and remembering doctor's appointments and blah 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 and i just don't know how she does it and it made me extremely upset because the entire time i just want to be like bitch you're rich hire someone like (laughs) outsource this stuff like this is dumb like and 
it was also getting me really bad because it did that whole trope of like the little kid is like, mom, you have to go back to work again. I hate you. And it's just going to be like, child, what do you think adults do? They have to go to work. Like, I don't know what your problem Shut is. Shut the fuck up, child. I, I always hate that stuff. But you get a job. It, be in a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> it actually does a pretty good job of really portraying the emotional labor that women do in families that uh, is largely goes yeah. ignored by their partners and the people around them where it's not just like I didn't hear you. Just... I was putting on the storm windows, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad you interrupted me for that. <laughs> Sorry, darling. It's not just the hands-on child care and cleaning that has to happen, but it's the stuff like remembering birthdays, remembering doctor's appointments, remembering all this stuff like planning meals for the week, all this stuff that is hard to quantify, can't mm-hmm. really be outsourced, and still is labor, an emotional labor. And I think it does a really good job of putting a spotlight on that and how hard that is for people, especially women in families are the ones who tend to have that sort of job thrust upon them because it's just expected. It's the same sort Mm -hmm. of thing. If you work in an office and like the women are always the ones that are expected to be like throwing the baby showers and the happy birthday cupcakes. Like Mm. that's just emotional labor. That is my mom has a, has a shelf in the house that is reserved for everyone's birthday. And Mm -hmm. without a, without a, Calendar in her phone or Facebook remembers everyone's birthday. I was one of our friends, Sarah, just asked me, like, hey, you want to go out for a drink? You know, I didn't want to, but I was in a cataclysmic situation at home and I'm just like, anything to get out of the house. And he just tells me, my second oldest friend in my life, oh, yeah, it's my birthday. I'm like, fuck. Like, without Facebook, I don't remember anybody's birthday at all. And like, like, when did, how did we ever organize this without that? And I just, I even had to ask my mom, like, how do you remember everybody's birthday? Like, do you guys write it down or do you just wait for Facebook to tell you? I don't remember people's birthdays. Like I, I missed that chip somehow. I don't mm. know, <laughs> but it is very, it was very frustrating to watch. And then I find the ending to be pretty satisfying. So oh. spoiler alert, she does not have to quit her job. Spoiler alert. She does not have to um, sell her child, sell her <laughs> child or divorce her husband. Her husband played by the ever charming Greg Kinnear is actually turns out to be a pretty good guy so yes it is not so the ending he, he doesn't play an asshole I, I just assume from the premise here like does he like not work or it, what's he not what's he not doing he, during all he this works but it, it, they kind of make it out that he has like kind of a lower status job than her maybe a photograph um, golf course like less pressure but she's like forced to treat it like it's the same as oh. hers which is extremely high mm. pressure which is also a weird dynamic that happens in a lot of relationships sometimes it started out to be very frustrating but it really does actually get into some so this doesn't this doesn't dynamics. fall into the that, normalize like- house husbands word no (laughs) or just you don't have to do everything like the thing that was like really upsetting me is like she's like trying to bake a pie for a bake sale no you don't have to do that Uh -uh. like your child does your child would rather you be present and not grouchy than have a homemade pie like truly to bring to bake sale that nobody's gonna remember yeah yeah so So you're trying to impress yeah I'm not recommending this. I'm just saying it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It's it's not as bad as the other era of Sarah Jessica Parker movies that come out post Sex in the City because they're all those are all so bad. Mm. Or at least they have all they mostly have terrible reviews. Yeah. Mm. 
I can only think of the other Sex and City movies, which are terrible. <laughs> well, the first Lawrence one's okay. Lawrence of Mylabia. Lawrence <laughs> of Mylabia is not the good one. Man, and I, I watched a movie this week I don't think I've thought about since 10 years ago when I saw it. I'm like, pretty good. But then I had that, you ever see Tim and Eric's Billion Dollar Movie where Will Ferrell makes them watch Top Gun? And then he's like, pretty good, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, want to watch it again? That's how I felt. <laughs> That's how I felt about this movie. I wanted to watch it again immediately. Why aren't more people talking about Albert Brooks, Oscar Isaac, Ron Perlman, Christina Hendricks, Brian Cranston, Carey Mulligan, uh, and Ryan Gosling, and fucking Drive? You give me a time and a place. I give you a five-minute window. Anything happens in that five minutes, and I'm yours, no matter what. I don't carry a gun. I drive. I got the driver. This kid is special. Nice to meet you. My hands are a little dirty. So am I. You stole from the East Coast mob. This driver's got to go. Drive. Rated R. Starts September 16th. My, I, I'm like nuts. I fucking loved this movie This when I watched it this time. I thought it was mm-hmm. one of the greatest like independent small films I've ever seen. Yeah. Uh, I know there were some people, and I was a little bit among them, I felt like it was sold incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Like it was going to be the transporter or yeah. like what baby driver turned sure. out to be it, that. Yeah, of course there's action in it, but it's not really an action movie. Mm-hmm. You know, right. it's, it's, it's a twisty turny double crossing kind of, movie. it's a slow burn punctuated by horrific acts of violence. What, oh, my yeah. Favorite. When the violence shows up. Oh Whew. God damn. Oh yeah. I, I love this movie and I wish more yeah. people, I wish I was younger when I saw it. So I never stopped talking about it. I immediately after this, I flipped on Train Spotting One and Two because the soundtrack also reminded me of hmm. how important the soundtrack would have been to me when I was younger and still listening to music in regular rotation. Because the soundtrack is this wonderfully amazing mix of modern music with new with old age twists. Like the this, you think we're in a synth happy era now. Like whatever Drive was doing ten years ago, that shit is awesome. And all those songs persisted into parodies and cover songs and TikToks, the hero song. Oh, fuck, I wrote it down, too, in another goddamn document because I can't remember any of the names of the songs, but they're great. What's what's the title the title song called? Shit. It's an amazing, amazing little film. I'm just surprised, like, we didn't go on to hear, what's the director's name? Um, Nicholas Wending. Nicholas, yeah, Wending Renfrin. 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 What was I thinking, not following this guy through every step of his career? I love this movie. I, I don't know because it's kind of surprising, I guess... Uh, certain, I, I think a couple of different people went to bat for him, Ryan Gosling in particular, because yeah. originally this was going to be Hugh Jackman and he was attached for a while and then he dropped out. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Ryan Gosling is a much better call mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. yeah, Hugh Jackman is a little more physically imposing and you can see him doing action-y things and you might not want to fight him. And, Ryan and Gosling, you feel like you could kick his ass. Ryan Gosling also no, has that, that, that quiet terror in his eyes, like the mm-hmm. who can shut oh. up on screen longer than I think Hugh Jackman could. He's yeah. got that sad eyed, mm-hmm. scary guy like Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. Same mm. thing. I, yeah. Where it's just like there's something very intense going on there. I was I'm a yeah. member of the Canadian Mossad. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nicholas Winding Renfrin, he was coming off of Bronson and Valhalla Rising. Bronson is so good. Which they're really good, but they're not exactly narrative heavy. Mm-hmm. Like not a lot of plot. In Valhalla Rising, it's just all mood all the time. And I really like Valhalla Rising, but man, nothing happens. (laughs) And it's awesome. Uh, There's not a lot of plot and drive. I think describing it makes me feel like I I would spoil it. 
Yeah. Because I, I could no, tell I you the whole you, movie in three sentences. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you got to say, just trust us. It's really good. It's It definitely feels like indie film in the best way. There's a mm-hmm. roughness to it. There's a couple things in it that I'm kind of like, that could have been like cleaned up on maybe a little bit or, or cut a little bit here or there or whatever. But that doesn't take away from it. I think it kind of makes it better because it makes it less slick. It's not a Fast and Furious situation. It is like... But it does have some great vehicle moments. It really yeah. does. And I love too that like the two people who have the most lines in this whole movie are two side characters. Yeah. Brian Cranston and Rob... Perlman are like the two that like are the chattiest I think everyone else is quiet and I mean I I guess part of it is like the the quietness really makes you wonder what their motives are for a lot of the people yeah I mean uh, Albert Brooks that's wow fucking who had the idea to cast Albert Brooks as the heavy I'm the baddest gangster there ever was Uh, (laughs) he's had some weird face work like before this movie you think so it's not just yeah. aging i think no i think that maybe he had some work done and it just didn't have time to settle by the time this mm. movie came along because i've seen him since then and he looks fine but anyways that hmm. kind of if you're going to comment on that i want to comment on how hot i find christina Hendricks because i never really see her outside of a 1950 setting and firefly she's yeah. like the only mm. modern movie i can remember seeing her in. oh she... check her out in good girls good girls yeah. okay chef's kiss yeah this movie's fantastic this very is... cool yeah. just so cool it's... i don't know i want to go watch it again right now and this was yeah. days ago mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It, I, I really really liked it and I, i'm surprised we don't talk more about it but yeah but i looked at the soundtrack the soundtrack on youtube has Literally like 80 million views on every song. So this clicked with somebody and it, yeah. it crossed over like that. Uh, I just, for, we used to have like soundtrack oriented movies when I was younger and buying CDs. I'm sure those still exist. I'm just not the audience for it. I, I'm guessing Drive has found an audience. It was on Netflix like the, throughout like the last 10 years. Now it's on Peacock, sadly, with ads. Yeah. It's it's funny because I feel like the there is I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that there's a bit of a triangle among Ryan Gosling and Carrie Mulligan and Oscar Isaac, Isaac, which are three of our most beautiful, sad eyed actors. (laughs) Like all three of them have those eyes that are like something. What happened to the two leads? (laughs) The two leads have sad dog eyes the whole time. But Oscar Isaac, this is one of the more intense roles I've ever seen because he's yeah. really young, skinny, and looks like he would fuck you up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's terrifying yeah. without ha- mm-hmm. without doing anything. And like, I don't think people really know who he is yet. I saw him first in Inside no. Long Davis. So yeah, uh, it's not really his movie, but I cannot say enough nice things about this film. It's yeah. So I, I think he did nail something, Chris. I think this is a movie that improves the second time around. Yeah. Mm. Like the first time around, it's it's pretty interesting. It's fun. And there's oh, is that know, it? some like, double crossing and oh they're getting to know each other and oh, i wonder what his deal is wait it's over because it's kind of short it's only like 100 minutes long mm-hmm. and then second time around you're sort of like oh because like i don't know you know it's not gonna maybe it's gonna be a huge shootout and trucks are gonna explode but not, yeah i found myself watching that's this not what it's about almost literally at, at i would say at the least nine years after i've seen it last anticipating sequences that I originally were like, eh, it's okay. Like, no, get to that part where Albert Brooks does that thing that was, oh my, oh my God. <laughs> it won't hurt a bit. God. <laughs> this movie's Just thinking great. thinking about that <laughs> makes me feel woozy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, no drive is, I yeah. mean, 
I think one of the best movies of 2011. Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Looking back or it's like, it has moved up in my estimation. And mm-hmm. all the things that I, I, I have taken with me with, uh, for the movie works. I don't know why he puts on the stunt mask to go do all that shit other than to terrify the last moment of human beings lives. <laughs> it's, it's not to hide his identity. <laughs> it's to put, strike fear in his, and it's so dark and weird And this, uh, this movie perfectly personifies a mood of dark and weird uh, mm. set in sunny LA and some of the, you know, best seemingly yeah. drab areas of sunny LA. I would pair this with Nightcrawler. Yeah. Ooh. Huh. Mm. Liking it. Yeah, good yeah. choice. But uh, I, I love this. I, I don't know. I wish I wish it got talked about more. This should have been like the generation behind us is Pulp Fiction. And we should never <laughs> stop talking about this dude. This is dope as hell. Mm-hmm. And then I remember reading the reviews for his movie. Yeah, it's not as good as Drive. I'm like, oh, well, I didn't like Drive that much to begin with. And I just never followed um, Danish director's career. And I feel fucking guilty about it. Yeah. But I'm I telling think he's, you- only, he's only done like two movies since then. I think yeah. he did, what, Neon Demon and Only God Forgives. Yes. Only God Forgives. That's well, the one I know. want to check out he, now. This guy, he takes his time. But uh, thorough, high, the highest recommendation I can give a movie on this program. I'm not talking more about it because I don't want to spoil the moments in the movie because the moments are all wonderful. Um, uh, 2011, we have the Emmys not delayed this time. Yep. Um, on the 13th, 2011, who's hosting the Emmys this year? Oh my goodness. Jane Lynch. Yay. Jane Lynch is hosting. Um, this is right. This is right. I guess in the beginning of that Jane Lynch era, we're like, oh my God, she is in everything. Yeah, everywhere. Glee is huge right now. She's in the she's the main voice in the next Disney movie. I think she's featured on Kanye's album. Like she's just all over the place. (laughs) Who's the big winner here? Because I wasn't watching this show in uh, particular. See, Modern Family takes uh, best comedy series. Mad Men takes best drama. There you go. No huge surprises there. Downton Abbey wins for miniseries. It's considered a miniseries, which I don't understand. That's Amazing weird. Race, 10 years after it debuts, still go. winning reality competition. It like had a lock on that Emmy for it really did. a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Daily Show still with Jon Stewart wins for Outstanding Musical Variety. Awesome. Awesome. And I do see Melissa McCarthy winning for Mike and Molly, a show I have never watched except when I'm stuck at the beach with standard definition over-the-air television, and I don't hate that show. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I feel like she got a bump from Bridesmaids. Yeah, I think she did, Oh, too. yes. Yeah. For sure. Uh, Jim mm-hmm. Parsons wins for you-know-who. Um, Bazinga. Good for him. And <laughs> anything else notable we can think of? Because, like, I'm not seeing a ton of stuff. I, I, mean, I don't yeah. know. I... I am so far out of the realm of hating things that I just don't enjoy, but I really never understood modern family and it is taking like almost all the awards here. <laughs> Ty Burrell yeah. and Julie Bowen. I just don't get it. Um, I've never gotten it into great. it. It's a great show. It, I stopped watching it after a couple of years just because um, I think after a while, like it's like you get the shtick with a lot of the characters have one or two really strong personality traits. And that kind of gets to be like, I know, I know that's how you are. <laughs> like, you mm-hmm. know. So I think that's why I stopped watching it. But I think the individual jokes and stuff are still really funny. How about this, though? Mm-hmm. Peter Dinklage winning an Emmy for Tyrion Lannister. All right. Off the first season. Off the first season. And that is, oh, God, I love Tyrion the first season. And then on the 14th, Up All Night premieres, the most bizarre, so what naked scary. pictures of the executive do you have to keep the show in the air with Will Arnett <laughs> and Christina Applegate and Maya Rudolph, I believe? Yeah, it. this is such a weird show. I, so I watched the first season of it. I really liked it. It was a single camera sitcom, basically, uh, where, you know, it was sharp. It was really funny. Like, 
I love those characters. I love those actors. Was, was it, it was new parents, but like Christina yeah. Applegate works for Maya Rudolph's Oprah character. Right, exactly. And then somehow it like got rumored that it was going to get canceled. Then it went on hiatus. Then it came back as a multicam yeah, sitcom in front of a live audience. Yeah. And the focus changed. And then Christina Applegate left. Then my Rudolph left. Like everything that should have any other show canceled did not get the show canceled. Yeah. And, and I think community hey. fans were looking at this like, what the fuck is going on, man? <laughs> Community's on the bubble every fucking week. And this show has got, it's not a ratings winner. Critics don't like it. It has, it has a thousand lives. Mm. It's, no, it's, it had two lives. That's it. No, no, no. It, when it got retooled and it came, it kept going without its lead. For like not that long. For though. not that long, but still. I mean, I watched it. I watched all of it. Like it was, it just came back but and still, it's like it changed. It, it's like it had the, a traumatic pain. The way it, nerds it, were writing. It, brain injury and came back a totally different person. The way <laughs> nerds were writing about this, thing. like somebody very high up wants the best for this show and will not allow it to die. It is, it has technically died five times and it's still on the air. It's, yeah, I, I don't, I think that someone up there wanted to kill this show mm. and they were, they just That's never gave possible. it the right chance. Or that, that it maybe had like a guaranteed episode order and they somebody was trying to do everything to fuck with it. Did you watch it? I think I, I tried to watch the first episode. I just didn't think it was okay, terrible, so watched, but non-remarkable. Yeah. So I watched the whole first season when it was a single camera and it was great. Mm. It was funny. Characters were funny. It definitely, those when those shows that I think probably needed a little bit more time to get its legs and nah. instead they were just like oh fuck it's not Change getting the ratings we want let's just turn it into a multicam because that's what everyone wants and those two actors the actors that were on the show are just that's not obviously what they signed on for mm -hmm. so that i think totally torpedoed it i think that's what happened to it totally you know what else it torpedoed what? will arnett's marriage Oh, did it? That's the rumor. No shit. Oh. I did not know Allegedly, that. Allegedly, Will Arnett what? and Christina Applegate had a thing, and uh, that's why he got divorced from Amy Poehler. I, I cannot confirm that, but that is also not illegal and therefore not legally actionable. But they're both an anchorman. It can't be. <laughs> anchorman 2. Mild spoiler huh. there. On 9-11, my second national nightmare, Entourage Ends, my favorite show. Oh. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's so sad. Eight seasons. Eight wow. seasons. Eight seasons, seasons of the exact same stories. Exact same episode every episode. Every time I heard a guy talk shit on Sex and the City, I'm like, you're you're really just thinking of Entourage. Entourage is the show you're thinking of. The derivative show where people do gendered things and have gendered fun and nothing ever happens, that's Entourage. Sex and the City mm -hmm. had fucking stakes. This, there's no stakes in this show. Every episode ends with everyone getting everything they ever wanted. Every episode. <laughs> it is. It was so obnoxious to watch. I really did not like Entourage. I don't think I ever watched it, honestly. I was just aware of it. It was. Yeah, it I'd was, see it here and there, and I know there were some like inside Hollywood jokes that were kind of funny. Sometimes people playing themselves. Oh, for sure. Or, ah. it had, it, it, I, I think it had redeeming qualities, and I'm shitting on it. It just was that that non exceptional thing. It was just a boy's wish fulfillment show. It could have been a reality show because, mm -hmm. like the the the, hum, uh, the real cameos were one of the most exciting things about it. And it was just watching mm -hmm. people live richly and get richer and richer the whole time. That was the fun thing about the show. And when you realize that formula, like I cannot believe anybody watched this for eight seasons. <laughs> Holy shit! I got I got bored with like there needs this show needs conflict. Like mm -hmm. so, there has to be some stakes here, some drama, something bad has to go happen to one person, but it never oh. does. 
But what about that time Turtle was rude to Johnny Drama, but then they hugged it out? Bitch. They hugged it out, bitch, or they all got laid at the end and drove off in Hummers. It's all so silly. <laughs> it's, or it, what about the time that Jeremy Piven abused his assistant, mm-hmm. but the assistant still stuck around the whole time? <laughs> I knew oh, about Lord. that. Oh, Lloyd. I, I can see why people are embarrassed for liking the show. I just don't think it's not. It's I've seen the, the creator get really offended uh, by people's modern assertions of the show which i think are both correct and also like yeah but your show wasn't the worst thing on the air at the time don't no, worry about it it's calm fine. down it's, watch it don't watch it but just don't pretend that it's anything more yeah, than yeah, what yeah. it is yeah. you know that's all mm-hmm. like this is not high art yeah this is just fantasy wish fulfillment and if you watch this don't ever say a word about anything that's on bravo there you go yeah there you go and then on curb your enthusiasm <laughs> oh my god is, that, this is, is this the episode the it's called episodes larry versus michael j fox Yes. The shenanigans that Larry gets up to in this episode, it's one of my favorite episodes. It's so funny. He has like this ongoing war with Michael J. Fox where he's like complaining to him and they're getting on each other's nerves and they're neighbors. And in the scene that I pulled, Larry's at Michael J. Fox's house and they're I think they're like trying to work out their differences or chit-chatting or whatever. Can I, can I get you a sword or something? Oh, sure. That'd be great. You know, uh, I mean, the thing is... Hitler really ruined that mustache for, for everybody. Because it's really, it's an interesting mustache, and now nobody could, could wear it, you know. Oh, thanks. Oh, Jesus Christ! What the hell? Did you shake that up on purpose? Parkinson's. <laughs> uh, God damn it. Yeah, the other story that's going on in this is that he's dating Anna Gosteyer, who has a young son who... Larry's over at her house one day before they go out on a date and he's like just doodling on these magazines and he draws a little Hitler mustache on one of the the magazines and the son comes in. He's like, what's that? What are you doing? And then he has to explain who Hitler is to this young child. (laughs) (laughs) And then it just escalates from there. Uh, One of my favorite episodes of Curb, honestly. Just thinking about that mustache because your boy was going hat shopping and it was just like, oh, MAGA's really ruined the color red. Never going to wear a hat that color again in my life. It is the Hitler mustache of hats. Sorry. Uh, Then lastly, of course, Diana, is this the series finale? The series finale. The series finale. hilarious because they obviously didn't know that because the ads were like, Spike TV's new hit series. They they didn't know Deadliest Warrior was uh, about to get canceled. So (laughs) they make a big deal. Like, yeah, this is the last two episodes they burn off together. First is, yes, who would win historically in a fight? French Foreign Legion versus the Gurkhas. They give it to the Gurkhas. That is the correct choice. I have to agree. But I, 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 I don't know who the Gurkhas are. They're uh, Sikh warriors from India, and they are oh, hardcore. Okay, okay. French Foreign Legion does have a policy of literally never surrendering. You fight to the last man. Yeah, mm-hmm. but they let in Abbott and Costello, and that is the extent of what I know about the Foreign <laughs> Legion. Good point. And- That's a good point. <laughs> but then... We have the season and series finale, which I have pulled some promo materials for you. Oh, boy. Where is this show about historical battles going to go? It really comes down to a vampire speed versus zombie numbers. A zombie would never attack one-on-one. They come at you in a horde. If the zombie happens to break through a major blood vessel and bleed him out quickly, that vampire is gone. This is 20 (laughs) years after the fact Mr. Show's Monster Parties documentary. A vampire and a werewolf wouldn't dance together at a party. It'd be a terrifying battle. <laughs> yeah. So they have a special guest on, Max Brooks, uh, who wrote Oh, boy. Advocating for, 
for zombies. I forget. They come up with a, a number of zombies versus a feral vampire. So one that's got like claws and wants to kill zombies yeah, instead of just yeah. saying, fuck you. And they even like test, like how much force does it take to smash a skull? Because mm. that's how you would stop zombies. Uh, yeah, it's really stupid. But they decide the vampire would win. Yeah, and, that makes yeah. sense. A are, vampire are saying, could take it, on. It's like thirty or forty zombies. It was like, yeah, it, this it's is a pretty fair. Fight. Also, I mean, vampires. There's so much different lore. But I mean, is it one of the super fast vampires? Yeah, I think they're Probably. going with the, like the strong vampire. Yeah, and you know the zombies, they can't get it together to get a stake. Then you got to aim it. Like, what are yeah. they going to do? Sarah, the show's yeah. not in production. Quit auditioning. I, I think. <laughs> Everybody in the GameFAQs forum should sue that they made a television show out of your conversations uh, that you write. In yep. Unbelievable. Is this the, so this, this is the end of the show, then? This is the end of the oh, show. I will oh, not be bringing up it. stupid, stupid episodes of Deadliest Warrior ever again. Oh, we already talked about the video game that came out of this, yeah. too. There's bafflingly a video game. So wonderfully done. Seems like Spike TV was the Deadliest Warrior in this <laughs> yes, final Spike matchup. TV executives. We needed more stripperella. Uh, that's what the people wanted. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I'm 10 years off on that. 2011 uh, video games, because there are, for some reason, a fucking lot of video games this week. And we'll talk more in depth about this on Patreon.com slash LazerTime. Star Fox 64 3D, that might have been last week. I don't remember if I remembered. Mentioned it. Bit Trip Saga for 3DS is out. God of War Origins Collection. I know Michael's a huge fan of God of War, so we'll have a lot to say about that. But I believe mm-hmm. these are the PSP games that come out on PS3. So now you don't have to pay $200 to play a new God of War. NHL 12 is out this week. Harvest Moon, A Tale of Two Towns. One of my favorite uses of a license I've ever seen from 2K. They had the Major League Baseball license. It was getting harder to make more than one game every year. But they tried. Nicktoons MLB. Would you like to hmm. Would you like to have Danny Phantom throw a pitch to Stimpy while Gurr from Invader Zim comments with real baseball players on the field? <laughs> This exists. We streamed it. It's one of the silliest things I've ever played. But SpongeBob is there. It is a wondrous time. I don't know any who any of the real baseball players are with their real uniforms, but I know who mo- most of the Nicktoons were. Red Orchestra 2, two Heroes of Stalingrad is also out. Um, the Gunstringer for th- Xbox 360. I believe that's a Kinect game. It was a little interesting. Renegade Ops is out. Trackmania 2 Canyon and uh, Radiant Silver Gun comes out in XBLA as well as White Knight Chronicles 2 for PS3 and and Perhaps the best MCU video game that has existed so far, WayForward's 2D version of Thor, which is just like a side-scroller, very lavish 2D pixel-based game. Uh, hmm. Thor, God of Thunder for 3DS. And that, with, that is pretty much it for the show. We have we have a quiz we want you to take, so don't, don't walk away just yet. Don't start that new episode of that worst show you wanted to listen to. Hear us out, because there's a new episode of Laser Time coming out, and it's all about the history of TV animation, and we have an actual TV animator on the show talk with us about it. VGA this week, I want to say, is about games where you can play as a kaiju version of yourself. So, yes, uh, in addition to new releases and me being absolutely in love with Psychonauts 2, oh my god, what a great game. (laughs) Diana, where can people find you at? They can find me on the Twitter at LeCineNerd, L-E-C-I-N-E-N-E-R-D, or follow the show at 302010podcast, 302010podcast. And coming up next week, we get the first of many insanely star-studded telethons and concerts post 9-11 plus the aforementioned glitter and Mm. finally also in 2001 we're finally getting to well if i'd seen it as a teenager a movie that'd be my favorite movie about being a sullen loser and meeting up with c buscemi finally getting a ghost world 
And if that weren't enough, I hope you like baseball and math. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't? Brad Me. Pitt and Jonah Hill really like it. Oh, I did like that movie. Uh, yeah. Two oh. things that most people hate, baseball and math. Turns out to be a great movie. So please check that out. Follow Diana on the Twitters. I don't use Twitter very much, but I'm on Instagram if you can dare to find me. This is going to get weird. Deaths. Because we not only have deaths of famous people who died during this, we are going to cover a couple of notable deaths of people who died on 9-11. Yeah. So let's start with 1991. We lost Yves Montand, who is 70. He is a French actor and singer. Great name. 2001, not related to 9-11, just separately. Hey, it's that guy, Victor Wong, who's in Big Big Trouble in Little China. He's 74. (laughs) And Dorothy McGuire was 85. She was a classic Hollywood actress going back well into the 40s. Plus, you know, summer place, gentlemen's agreement. Then during the attacks, <clears throat> we lost uh, three out of four of the flights were bound for L.A. And so we got some entertainment people related. David Angel or David Angle, 55. He was a staff writer on Cheers and co-creator of Frasier. Canadian hockey player Garnet Bailey was 53. This one kills. This just this hurts. Barry Berenson, who's an actress and photographer. She was the widow of Anthony Perkins. She's 53. Like, she doesn't have enough shit in her life, okay? Her husband died of AIDS, and and then she dies in a terrorist attack. Wow. Fuck! Uh, Barbara Olson, who is 45, is a lawyer, a commentator, and the wife of the Solicitor General of the United States. She was going to take politically incorrect. Daniel M. Lewin, 31, was the founder of, uh, I think it's Akami. It's Akami. Akami? Mm -hmm. Technologies. uh, The FDNY... Chief Peter Gansey Jr., FDNY chaplain, Father Michael F. Judge, who's 68. He's supposed to be a wonderful person. And Mark Bigham, 31, Todd Beamer, 32, Jeremy Glick, 31, and Tom Burnett, 38, who were the ones who bum-rushed the cockpit on United 93. Plus, since then, at least a 1,000 people have had weird cancers related mm-hmm. to being first responders, and mm-hmm. like 200-something more firefighters have died. Right. And have to yeah. get the government to resign every two years painstakingly because Republicans like Mitch McConnell are giant pieces of shit. Yeah. Um, the the cancer rates coming out of people who are just exposed to the dust cloud is is uh yeah, its own scandal. Get involved in that, conspiracy theorists. Anyway, well, then Oh, we're not done. In 2011, we lost Andy Whitfield, star of Spartacus Blood and Sand. Oh, he was only 39. I mm. I had an opportunity to sit down with him for about like like an hour for, for at lunch in San Diego. Uh, me and Andy, I interviewed him, and it was after he fought. Uh, was it lymphoma? Mm-hmm, I think so. After the the star of Spartacus, which they had to shoot part of the next season without him, and he's like, "Nah, I'm, I, I think I got this. I'm on the mend." really really nice guy and had nothing but optimism towards the future and it was really br- i know i'm fortunate no one in my life like this has died this quickly and tragically but like he is a celebrity who told me he felt better <laughs> personally over lunch and forgave me for mispronouncing his name we had a one of uh, the boss at our company had the same name spelled the same way pronounced completely different so i just kept fucking with it whatever mm. spartacus is a stupid show but andy was a nice guy yeah <laughs> And I, it was a fun, stupid show. Yeah. Yeah. And also uh, in 2011, we lost Cliff Robertson, who's 88, who's a actor. going. By, I mean, Charlie is probably what he's best known for, the adaptation of Flowers for Algernon. Right. But he was in a ton of other stuff, too. Yep. Right. Oh, oh, with that All out right. of the way. So but look, let's get. Who was born on 9-11? <laughs> let's get all this sadness out because we have we have a really good birthday guy. All right. Birthday birthday birthdays. Oh, birthday is a doodly doo, a ding dong doodly doodly ding dong doo. Oh, Someone we can all agree on is a cool dude, mm. and he's turning seventy-five. Mm. Paul Rudd. 
<laughs> Born September 15, 1946 in San Saba, Texas. Dad worked in the oil fields and mom was a beauty shop owner, teacher, and cop. I have a Whoa. guess here. Is it Tommy Lee Jones? I was about to say Tommy Lee Jones. It is Tommy Lee Jones. Yes! <laughs> Son of a bitch. I was uh. I felt How bad for that. Ah, uh, wow. it was literally just the Texas thing, right. Texas thing, and the '76 yes. thing. It just oh, felt right. I knew he was from Texas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, he's from Midland, Texas, as seen on Friday Night Lights. Yeah, but could, could be more. He he, he he was the star of the first movie we talked about in 302010. Yes, I was the, gonna get the to one that. with the car. Black Moon Rising with yes. Tommy Jones in a supercar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I did not know. Now, I knew he went to Harvard because he was Al Gore's roommate. I did not know he was a guard on the football team and played in the legendary game against Yale in 1968. Uh, They scored two touchdowns in like 40 seconds at the end of the game. And the documentary on it is called Harvard Beats Yale 29-29. That is a legendary game. He graduated from Harvard cum laude with a degree in English literature. I believe he wrote about Flannery O'Connor for his like big essay. He got a small part in Love Story, played a doctor for four years on One Life to Live. And wow. now he is an Oscar winner and in the Texas Cowboy Hall of Fame, despite never being in a rodeo, as far as I know. <laughs> what did he win the Oscar for? Fugitive. Fugitive. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, which is Best pretty supporting. fair. Coal miner's daughter, I kind of think he was robbed. But yeah. we have talked about, yes, Black Moon Rising, where he, there's a supercar, uh, Gotham, Prairie Home Companion, Lonesome Dove, Company Man, Double Jeopardy, Sunset Limited, no Rules country. of Engagement. Space Cowboys, Small Soldiers, Firebirds, that's him and Nicolas Cage in helicopters, Volcano, yes, <laughs> Coast is Men toast. in Black, mm-hmm. U.S. Marshals, In the Valley of Elah, Captain America, The First Avenger, and No Country for Old Men. Oh, wow. We haven't talked about Fugitive yet. It's, we have not. Marshals, no, I think yeah. that's next year. Next year. 93. Think, yeah. or, oh, 93. Okay. Less, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Tommy Lee. So, yes, Tommy Lee Jones. Like, we've Tommy talked about Lee, so many Tommy. sad things, but come on. Tommy Lee Jones, man. Tommy Lee Jones. I just read that story again, how he hated Jim Carrey on the set of Batman Forever. And Jim Carrey claims he said to him, I can't sanction your buffoonery. And I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I read that like George W. Bush, but it's a fucking great quote if he did, Ooh, if he did say I that. I'm to add that to my repertoire. Can't sanction your buffoonery. Your buffoonery. Oh, so good. Tommy Lee Jones. A gruff old Texan hasn't revealed himself in any way to be a piece of shit. As uh, far as we know. Everything we've seen. Hasn't, hasn't uh, stood up for Supreme Court decisions or <laughs> bad presidents. Tommy Lee Jones, surprised. But yeah, that's the birthday quiz. We got we to gotta close out of here. What do we we got to close out. So I was going to give us a couple of choices. Something from 2001, like off the blueprint, is Ohova or Girls Go Girls by Jay-Z. Mm-hmm. Have something better from 2001. NYC's Like a Graveyard by Moldy Peaches, which is a really actually a fun song. It's just the title is sad. Or we go with... The other tragedy of 9-11, which is the debut of Nickelback's How You Remind Me, a song I hate so fucking much. Y'all, I love that song so much. Oh, I, oh that's my least favorite of all Nickelback songs. Or no, wait, did they do Rockstar? They did yes, the Rockstar. Yes, they did Rockstar. Rockstar. Okay, yeah. this is my second least favorite Nickelback song. And the one about the photograph. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I kind of love how you remind me. I'm not going to lie. So, but I also love Izzo. So, whatever. Y'all no. want is fine. Chris, break the tie. Help us out here. I don't know. 
don't know. I don't want to put Nickelback on the show, uh, but it's got to be Jay-Z. Thank you for so much for taking us out, Hove. We'll be back next week with, I'd say, considerably less 9-11 talk, so tell a friend. Nothing to not look forward to. Watch Drive. We'll see you next week. H to the Izzo, V to the Izzo. For shizzle, my nizzle used to dribble down in VA. Was herping them in the home of the turpins. Got it dirt cheap for them. Plus, if they were short with cheese, I would work with them. More than we got rid of that dirt for them. Wasn't born hustlers. I was birthing them. H to the Izzo, V to the Izzo. For sheezy, my kneesy, keep my arms so breezy.